You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com. The Boss Hog of Liberty podcast is the latest hit on the We Are Libertarians network. Each week, Jeremiah Morrill and Dakota Davis explore life in Henry County, Indiana. It's a show about our circle of friends, public officials, and our experiences. 80% observation, life, humor, and 20% politics. Boss Hog of Liberty is the day-to-day happenings of Henry County, Indiana, which is just like your community. Add us on iTunes and sample us today. Dear Leader would want you to. Hey there, Liberty lovers. This is Mark Clare of the Lions of Liberty podcast, where we strive to bring you great conversations about the ideas of liberty three days a week, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Check us out at lionsofliberty.com. Hey guys, this is Roger Paxton, and if you're fed up with the government running every single aspect of your life, but you're not listening to the Lava Flow podcast yet, then what's wrong with you? Check us out at thelavaflow.com, or just go back to sucking up to the government. The Lava Flow Podcast, striking the root every single episode. Hey, Liberty Rockers, this is Johnny Rocket from the Johnny Rocket Launchpad. Each week, I strive to bring you the best guests in talk radio. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad delivers weekly interviews of noteworthy politicians, economists, and activists. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad is bringing the party to the Libertarian Party and launching ideas in your direction. Check it out at johnnyrocketlaunchpad.com or find us on iTunes. Each show is action-packed, explicit, and a lot of fun. So join me at johnnyrocketlaunchpad.com every week for the newest episode. Keep liberty alive and rock and roll. Before we get the party started, I wanted to let you know about the Libertarian Party of Indiana State Convention. I will be going, and I hope that you will join us as well. It is May 4th through the 5th. It is downtown at the Marriott in Indianapolis, Indiana. And tickets are on sale now at... LPIN.org. Bill Weld will be the Saturday night speaker. Uh, there will be tons of training. In Indiana, we pick our candidates at the convention. So Friday night at the reception in the evening, you can meet all of the statewide candidates that are running for office that will be nominated the next day. And then if you're a member of the Libertarian Party of Indiana, you can vote in what is essentially our version of the primary. And the theme this year is we are libertarians. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Please join us. And get your tickets now at lpin.org. Welcome to We Are Libertarians. I'm your host, Chris Spangle. We bring you all of the irreverence modern politics deserves while putting people before political parties. We examine current events from a libertarian perspective with the goal of leaving you better informed. Please be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. Like us on Facebook, where Stone is doing great with all of our memes. Doing a great job. And subscribe on Patreon at WeAreLibertarians.com. In exchange for supporting our program, we give you all kinds of bonus content and free stuff. Thank you to our Patreon subscribers. I appreciate it so much. You're allowing me to take uh, two trips this spring and summer, which we'll talk about in just a moment. Uh, This show is crowdsourced, so you can send us news with the hashtag WALnews or in the Facebook group and Discord channel. We are always taking your questions and comments via email at editor at wearelibertarians.com. We'll read one of your questions at the end of the show. So please be warned that this show is raw, unedited, and authentic, so the language is sometimes strong and offensive. Now, just, uh, we are going to cover tonight 
Alfie Evans. We're going to talk about North Korea. We're going to talk about Kanye. We'll give you a little Iran update. Uh, what else? 20, oh, 23 and me, the breakthrough DNA technique that led to the Golden State Killer. Very interesting. So, uh, with me as always is Harry Price. Harry, how are you? Going good, going good. How I should you? turn on your microphone. How are you? I'm going good, going good. Um, I like to thank everyone for these chairs, my, my, uh, <laughs> once again. Yeah, so we we have uh, we have two new chairs, which they're nice, comfortable office chairs. I spit, I sit in these uh, a pretty fair amount. I sit in this spot, and Harry doesn't sit there as much, but he loves to complain about the chairs. Yeah, sure do, sure do. Especially when uh, episode. See, if the episode stayed around an hour and a half, I probably wouldn't have that much of a problem. Right. When they start getting to two, three, four, but with these new chairs, man, that was very Abdul of you, by the way. I, I saw Abdul as you were mocking me. And uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it, it was it's way past time. So this is the kitchen table that I grew up doing my homework on. Uh, I, I won it in my divorce. My mom gave it to me as she bought a new table and I got this. So these chairs are like nice chairs. They're Amish. They're wood. They're very hard. Uh, and so they, they're just not comfortable. And so when you're sitting on them for a while, it, it, it's not not great. Uh, so. The uh, the the little depot known as Staples. Mm-hmm, I went mm-hmm. in for a two dollar clipboard, and I walked out with two chairs and a clipboard, two clipboards actually, and uh, all of that is possible because of our Patreon subscribers. Uh, this is the rare splurge that I ever that I ever spend on. I said I'm able to do that a because of our Patreon subscribers, and b because of all the people that have helped fund my two trips. I'm going to. Porkfest in June, and I am going to uh, the National Libertarian Convention in July. Uh, that Sunday, Monday plan, if you're a listener, on getting together with all of us and, and hanging out. Uh, the, the, the people who've donated, Craig DaCosta, Christy Avery, uh, let's uh, not say her name, uh, <laughs> uh, Todd Singer, um, yeah, I, I know that I'm missing someone, and I apologize. I should have written this down, but I don't think I am. I, I tripped myself up on my own uh, brain fart. But thank you guys for offsetting the cost of the trip because it is, uh, it's not fully offset yet, but we're getting close, and that has been really, uh, it's been really nice. And I thank you guys for it because it costs several hundred dollars a month to run this. You guys um, cover the cost through Patreon. The reason that I ask for Patreon subscriptions is that it is expensive to run We Are Libertarians. And frankly, I put a lot of time into this. And if you get something out of it, then I'd love for you to become a Patreon subscriber. Because if if we didn't have Patreon subscribers, the show wouldn't exist. So if you like it, first and foremost, you should support it. Because in the age of new media, that's how it's going to work. There's never going to be, at least in my opinion, some great big conglomerate that's going to come and say we are libertarians we want you to do this and we'll give you a boatload of cash to do this show even if they did they would never let us do the show that we want oh yeah exactly yeah 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 well they they would want us to do things like how well i shaved my uh, my beard and my mustache last week with my harry's razor (laughs) (laughs) no you'd be a dollar shave club person oh no i have no sorry i mean (laughs) i have no problem doing advertising but once you start getting into the corporate radio world 
you start getting uh, restrictions on what you can and can't talk about. Opinions become, uh, uh, you probably shouldn't do that because blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and the worst thing, yeah, and just the, the things and you, also the breaks, hard right. breaks and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, uh, don't cover that story, too. Ooh, by the way, that story you want to cover, that's our sister station yep, right. doing that one. Right, yeah. So there is a lot that goes into We Are Libertarians, and you guys help me pay for it. And I thank you so much. We may sound a little different. We're using a couple new mics. I am uh, I'm not losing my voice, at least I hope not. Uh, but last Thursday, my voice was so weak because of, I think, stress or dehydration or whatever. But uh, I was glad that James Neese ended up canceling on me because he had a candidate for him. And Miranda was supposed to come on the show, and she canceled because it was her last night before before she went on house arrest. I uh, probably shouldn't have said that, but she won't care. Uh, and so I wasn't even really up to do the show because my voice was so weak. So we're using some different mics, so I we may sound a little different, so I don't have to push my voice as much. Uh, so hopefully we sound nice. I hope we sound good. You said I sound the same. Yeah, you, uh, you 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 sound like you usually do when you're walking around. Usually you do something to the microphone to give yourself a little bit more bass. You know when you know on the when you, so podcast um, spangle sounds different than like Liberty and Chill spangle, right? You know, and that's what I'm saying. You sound like Liberty and Chill spangle, like you're right there in front of me instead of like that. Oh, that's podcast spangle. Yeah, adding that fake bass. Well, uh, welcome to We Are Libertarians. My name is Chris Spangle. You know, you push it from the diaphragm. That's how you, you'd speak on the mic. You got to talk with the energy. You got to talk loud and quick. Well, okay. Um, I like the um, the shotgun microphone because I'm able to lay and sit back in the chair. And so I appreciate it. I like I, I like this different mic, even though you keep changing my mic every like two It feels like every two months now. I like to tinker. Okay. No, no. Hey. You're talking about someone who's like, you know, boots, you know, computers and mess with computers all day. I, yeah. I love Tinkered. So then this is your nerd. This is your nerd stuff. So I haven't done a lot of I haven't fiddled with it much lately because we, I really like the sound of it. I think it sounds good. I think functionally our equipment's right where it needs to be. So. So, yeah, I mean, we we stream live uh, to our to our uh, Patreon subscribers at the ten dollar and up level on the Mevo camera, mm-hmm. which was was uh, glitchy early on, and uh, I have to apologize to the Mevo people because they did an update that really like fixed whatever the problem was, and don't, it works. Don't works. apologize no, to them. This that, stuff was broke. Broke it, stuff was broke, <laughs> but it works great now, <laughs> uh, and our, our sound is good. So yeah, but I still want to uh, let you know we have an Amazon wish list at the bottom of WeAreLibertarians dot com, and our friend Shira Newman sent us a few cords, and I want to thank her for doing that. Um, one especially that I love is a long ass printer cord. Oh, so I can print from my chair way over there, like yeah. like uh, like little Rush Limbaugh <laughs> sitting in my chair printing, going daddle up, daddle up, daddle up. You don't have a Wi Fi printer? I got a Wi Fi printer. I got my print like sitting on the other side of like my entertainment center, so I can like print anywhere in the house and print to it. It it is a Wi Fi printer, but I don't know how to set it up, so I just didn't. <laughs> all right so back to boomers <laughs> that's that it, boomer mentality here's the here's the thing <laughs> yeah, i just bought a longer cord i fixed it got that lo- okay now the funny thing about like the log ass cable right because everyone loved the log ass cable right i had a problem with an access point last week because right. like for some reason just uh the jack that it was at for some reason wherever it was going in the ceiling it was a 10 100 port 
Right. Freaking no one. Everyone hates ten one hundred. They want gigabit connection, right? What What is a good one? I don't know what. A, what's What's the, the giga, opposite? Gigabit. Okay. The gigabit. Ten times. You know. Okay. And the next ones are ten gigabits, but there's no ten gigabit ones out yet. Um. So. In order to fix this issue, I just made a long ass cable and just ran a long ass cable from another spot and dragged a long ass cable across Sometimes the. Sometimes you just um, need an LAC. Yeah, it takes yeah. care of and it. I drag, and like the people like saw me drag it across the cubicles, they're like, "What's this for? Faster internet? Oh, go on, <laughs> go on, <laughs> faster internet." <laughs> and I hooked it up, and they've loved it ever since. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I I have noticed in the last year, I am getting less and less technologically advanced. Uh, the and Aaron says this too. There are several people that I've asked, like they're in their mid thirties, and they're just like, "Yeah, could, technology's starting to confuse me." So I wonder if that's like, uh, like if you're in your mid thirties and you're starting to get confused by technology too, share share in the Facebook group so we know we're not alone. And if you're in your uh, mid fifties and the technology doesn't um, confuse you, I'll see you there, right hole. Uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> so we have a very serious subject. Enough fun and games. Uh, for the show here. Yes, Harry, you were about to say something. No, 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 no. no. Like I said, I'm sniffling because of like the, I don't know if I'm getting a cold because Gunther got her first cold this weekend or, you know, just from like taking her to the daycare and they've got her like out in the boonies of McCordsville. I'm, you know, the the freaking pollen and hay fever are so different. Covered in prairie, prairie dust. Yeah. Prairie stuff, you know, you know, which is good things. Like most people, it's like I get to pass. Like I, go, I drive up to McCordsville, and I pass Tins Bakery all the time. And if you know, if you're aw- you know, if you're a McCordsville or Fortville person, you know about Tins Bakery, and you're awesome. Uh, all right. So yes, the allergies are killing us here in Indiana. Oof, it's not good. All right, Harry, let's get to the subject. Um, the first one's a tough one, and you are a parent of a, a child. Do you want to say how old? Um, she'll be actually a year old this um, uh, Cinco de Mayo. Okay, so almost a year old. Yep. And this is uh, this is just a really difficult case. I mean, to me, it's a very simplistic case in some ways in the legal aspect, but uh, the, it, once you really dive into the details of the Alfie Evans case, there doesn't seem to be a, a clear-cut uh, – it, it's just – sucks <laughs> like there's no way around it uh i think that it, something like this gets so uh blown out of proportion and people don't actually study into the, any of the details and as i kind of went through the details this weekend it didn't it didn't make it any easier i mean the question for me the conclusions didn't change but it certainly is a tough case so alfie uh alfie evans passed away this past week, but he first started showing symptoms. Uh, he, he was born in April of 2016, I believe it was, April or May of 2016. And he was just like any other kid, but he wasn't he wasn't reaching milestones like most other kids. So there was the, the parents were starting to suspect that maybe something wasn't uh, firing on all cylinders. Uh, and then in December of 2016, he had a seizure and they went to the ER, and the doctor at the ER, according to the parents, said that Alfie was just lazy and a late developer. And they were like, no, something's wrong. And so they were there for about 11 days undergoing testing and treatment, and it became clear during scans that the only brain activity that Alfie had was when he was having a seizure. 
And the those initial seizures basically were so severe that it caused a catastrophic degradation of his brain tissue. And you know, this means that he was he was never going to have taste, touch, any senses or really any brain activity again. Uh so they they went about a year beyond that even though his initially it was very severe but it just became progressively worse. The neurological condition was never diagnosed. They never they still don't know exactly what he had. Uh but the seizures kept destroying his brain tissue and by December of 2017, the doctors knew there was absolutely no hope in uh, Alfie recovering. 70% of his tissue had been destroyed to the point that all remained, all that remained inside of his skull was water and spinal fluid. And the uh, seizures, as I said, were the only time that his brain lit up. Um, but, and I think this is the, kind of the cruelest part <laughs> on nature nature's part he still could open his eyes and smile so the parents i i think had more hope than the doctors that's obvious in this situation so the doctors decided in in december of 2017 that the course uh, of treatment was to remove him from the ventilator and the feeding tubes basically to let him starve to death and essentially kill him to euthanize him and the parents disagreed uh his parents tom evans and and the doctors argued that it was grave there isn't a cure there's no way to really make him any more comfortable and so it's unkind and inhumane to keep him alive and they should agree to remove him from life support but tom evans especially and kate james were his parents they're 20 tom's now 21 he's a devout catholic and they didn't want to see their son put to death. You know, they were still much more hopeful about his prognosis and hoping for a miracle. And they disagreed with the, the doctors on the course of treatment. And they believed in the sanctity of life. And so their religious values, their belief in the child, in their child's prospects were different. And so they decided to seek out the hospital in Vatican City that offered Charlie Gard treatment, and this was all kind of going on at the same time. Uh, and the Bambino Jeshu Hospital in Vatican City offered to bring, uh, bring Alfie to the hospital. Uh, they had made the same offer for Charlie Gard, and the United Kingdom passed uh, – ba- Charlie Gard died – uh, with a mitochondrial issue, basically his mitochondrial DNA wasn't reproducing, and so his brain, his kidneys, his his organs weren't they weren't getting the energy needed because his body wouldn't produce mitochondria, and eventually he was he passed away. Um, and they were going to they wanted to go do some experimental treatment at this hospital in Vatican City, uh, and the United Kingdom said no, and Charlie Gard passed away. The same with Alfie May, uh, Alfie, May uh, Alfie Evans. There was no cure. There was a doctor in Munich that was willing to do some experimental treatment. Uh, and their plan essentially was to leave the hospital in Liverpool, take him to the, the Vatican City, and either bring that doctor from Munich down or go see the doctor in Munich. Um, so the doctors argued that he should die with dignity, 
which I think is a ridiculous phrase. I don't think that means anything. That's one of those phrases that everybody says, but nobody actually knows what it means. Uh, and the parents wanted to go somewhere else. So the hospital uh, went to the courts. And in England, they passed a law in 1989, uh, something called the Children Act. And the hospital basically said that uh, Alfie needed to be taken off of ventilation and that the parents uh, didn't understand what was best for their child. And they were downright condescending, if you really read a lot of the reports. And they wanted to remove parental rights from Tom and Kate so Alfie could be removed from ventilation. Uh, And in the UK, the law is that when parents and doctors disagree on the best treatment, courts settle the dispute. And uh, the hospital used the 1989 Children Act, which allowed the state to intervene when the parents are deemed a risk to the child's well-being. So the hospital argued that the parents were a risk to the child's well-being, so they should be allowed to put Alfie to death. Okay? Um, So uh, the parents wanted to seek more treatment at a different hospital the hospital wanted to put Alfie, Alfie to death. Uh, the courts ruled two months later that the parents would put Alfie at risk for harm. And in the next month, an appeals court, the Supreme Court of the UK, and the European Court of Human Rights agreed with that ruling. His, his parents appealed a second time, and the courts uh, in the Supreme Court and the appeals court said, no, we're not going to do Groundhog's Day again. You're just going to get the same result if you keep asking. So on April 23rd, Alfie was removed from life support, and he was sentenced to death by starvation. Tom and Kate sat by their be- by his bedside. He would uh, gasp for air. He wasn't given water. Eventually, they he was given some water. He would be put on the ventilators. He was taken off, uh, but he he uh, survived five days and uh, passed away. Um, so, I think this is a really important question. Not just for libertarians, but for everybody. Who makes the decision of what's best for a ch- what? What is the best course of action for a child? Okay, in this case, it's clear to everyone, with the exception of maybe the parents, but even the the doctors that came from the Italian hospital said, you know, there's you realize there's no hope. We can make him comfortable, but he's going to spend his final years there. He's not going to recover. You know, they were saying the same thing as the UK. The UK just didn't want to pay for it because it's a nationalized healthcare system. And so CARES rationed and they didn't want to spend any more money on him. Uh, and so they were going to put him down like a dog. And, uh, but eventually he was going to pass away sooner rather than later. So, because he kept having seizures, it, when he was touched, he would seize. So, I mean, this is a child who had a tremendous neurological condition that was already that had already left him you know you've heard reports of a semi-vegetative state he was in a semi-vegetative state when they brought him in a year before okay he was in a vegetative state when he when he was taken off life support so this is um uh the doctors argued compassion that the compassionate thing to do was to put was to take him off ventilation that he was brain dead and to let him pass away. And the parents said, we're not ready to do that. We don't want to. We're going to go somewhere else. 
the courts ruled that the parents didn't have the right to make that decision because the best, the most compassionate thing to do was to remove him from life support. So uh, now this is a decision that parents and family and, and children have to make about you know family members every day. Uh, you know, here in America, if you were in this situation, you might have some more options. Your insurance may stop paying for it, but you could you could pay for it. You could go to a different hospital if you're left from uh, if you're removed from that hospital. But in the United Kingdom, it's single payer health care. And so ultimately, the state decides your care. And if the state decides they no longer want to pay for your care, or your child's care, there is no re- you know what what makes no sense to me is why. The United Kingdom, when they were granted Italian citizenship, the Pope had sent a helicopter to the landing pad at the hospital Mm -hmm. to transport the child. They would they said, uh, we'll take care of all the medical bills. You're off the hook. This is what the parents wish. Why they wouldn't allow that? Because like. And and the dad even kind of argued, and this is a very crass argument, but the dad even kind of argued in court, like, at the, not to sound like Hillary, but at this point, what difference does it make? Yeah. You know, like he, we know the reality. Now they started to kind of put out into the public that he was getting better and started to kind of fan the flames. And that led to a ton of death threats at the hospital, which led local police authorities to start investigating people for mean tweets and harassment mm-hmm. and all that that did was kind of harden the hospital's position towards the parents and the parents ended up having to put out a statement saying like, stop, <laughs> like, uh, people were trying to storm it. Um, yeah. so now Carly says they didn't euthanize him. They gave him end of life care. Uh, the parents should have been made. Uh, you'll have to say that again. Maybe you can read Carly's comment. Uh, she's actually in this industry. Yeah, they gave him end-of-life care. Now the parents should have been able to make whatever choice that they wanted, but the child was giving end-of-life uh, care for a terminal condition. Okay. Maybe I'm just ignorant, but to me, <laughs> like I don't know what the law is, but starving someone to death, like that's really – like. Uh, I, I, maybe Carly can fill in on like, what the procedure for a person – getting quote unquote end of life care is. Uh, but I don't know. Uh, I, this is all kind of like reminds me of the, she's driving. Yeah. reminds me of the Terry Schiavo case, yeah. which, you know, it was clear Terry Schiavo was brain dead. One side of the family wanted to end her life and take her off life support. The other side of the family didn't. And the courts ruled that they were going to remove life support. And, uh, and I just remember thinking at the time, like, again, what difference does it make? Um, so yeah, I don't know. Maybe we can have Carly call in, uh, get Carly's number if you can. Uh, I don't have Carly's phone number. We can call her. Maybe the connection won't be too rough. We want me to ask her to put a phone number in the, in the, in the, just have her message it to you and then you can write it down for me. Uh, because if, if I'm not saying the right thing, I mean, in my mind, this kid seems like he was euthanized (laughs) to be quite honest, uh, by the state. Um, you know, there's uh, uh, the decision makers were not the parents. Um, so this is, I don't know. I hate this story because it, it there there are no easy answers. Right. 
and it's an incredibly an emotional subject. Uh, even when it's not your kid, it's not your country. But it is a scary proposition when you have a civilized Western country that um, doesn't understand self-ownership in any way, shape, or form. Uh, you, when you're a child, your parents de facto own you, okay? Not as in slavery, but they're the guardians of your rights. They're there to protect you, to help you make the right decisions, to uh, protect you from harm. Uh, but they also are the decision makers for what goes on. Now, there's limits. They can't hurt you. They can't uh, beat you. They can't you know, physically assault you. Uh, but they uh, they are the ultimate decision makers in your your care. The United Kingdom is basically saying, no, we are. The courts are. And you see a lot of people arguing online that, yeah, the courts are rational and they are uh, unbiased. They are the ones that should take care of your care. So – I mean, where do you weigh in on this? I mean, you're a parent of a child around the same age. Uh, how would you, how would you, first, how would you feel if you were in this situation? I think it would have been the same thing um, just as Alfie's parents. I, did, I, I wouldn't care. I'm sorry. As much time I can spend um, with them, I probably would have done it. I wouldn't care. They could have shown me anything in the world, but the maximum time I could have spent, that's what I wanted to do. I own my child. Um, granted, I was um, when Gunther was born. She was born super early, and you know we were given you know first you know because we're United States, the first world, the only first world country left. Um, you know, it's so we're, I was able to be able to get like that, like the first class clicker. Oh, yeah, you can hear her? I'm yeah, sorry. I can hear her. Oh, sorry. Carly, I didn't mean to bring you up right away. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, we'll have to call you back. I can hear her. Well, you can't hear her? I can't hear her, no. That's all that matters. I can hear her. Oh, I know. Here. Can we? Carly, are you there? <laughs> I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. So this is what, okay. you, this is what you do for a living? Is that... Wait, yes, just, okay. I don't. I I don't deal with children as a general rule. Um, usually just older adults, but still, when the body is shutting down, um, usually when they're putting in feeding tubes and keeping people on the ventilator and stuff like that, the the feeding tube is keeping them alive. But it's still, it, you know, they're they're not going to wake up. This child is never going to wake up. This child is never going to have any kind of quality of life. Um, he, he was considered in a terminal condition. We do this. We do this with adults all the time, uh, and I think a lot of it comes from people are people are terrified of the word hospice. Uh, they are terrified of withdrawing care on their loved ones because what if they make a mistake? What if there is a medical miracle? What if you know they do find something that can, you know, that can can fix them and make them better? Uh, in general, that doesn't happen doesn't happen and the doctors a lot of times know that everything it doesn't matter what treatments they throw at somebody this patient is never going to get better and I commend the doctors for one for being that honest with that patient and that family because you don't always see that that is not always the case really why uh, why, why is that no um as a general rule 
doctors get attached to patients when they are asked to prognosticate a uh, patient's condition and their expected length of life, they will overshoot that usually by months or multiple times over. So when someone is coming in from the outside looking in, it's like this patient is in stage of this. This patient is not going to live another six months. They are terminal. But that doctor is so emotionally attached to that patient because they may have been working with them for a long time. Uh, and it's hard to recognize that when you want this patient to do well, but they are just, they're not there anymore. Um, now, this is this is a little bit different because if this patient was, uh, more of a vegetative state, brain dead. Uh, I don't know. I haven't read all the articles. I just looked at a little bit of it. Um, they, but it's not starving. That's that's and that's what scares people a lot because they think that when they're going on hospice, they're starving, which is not true. As the body is shutting down, you naturally don't need those calories. So patients are not hungry. They're not hungry. They don't eat. You will see patients as they start declining and they start, you know, they're starting, their bodies are starting to shut down and getting ready to pass. They don't want water. They don't want food because their bodies aren't processing it anymore. So they don't need it. So do we have any clue what it is like for the, the person that's passing in that situation? I mean, is it, is it painless? Is it uh, just, you go to. It's totally painless. Okay. Yeah. It's totally painless. It does not hurt them. And honestly, when you have 70% of your brain fiber eradicated, you're probably not feeling much, you know, not, not trying to be no. crass, but there, there isn't, there isn't something, there isn't feeling necessarily. No. Now when people go on hospice and just, it's, it's different with everybody's situation because some patients are in a lot of pain. When people go on hospice or palliative care or more end of life type care, they are really, really focused on the symptoms. So if the patient is having, you know, major anxiety related to their breathing, they give them more medications to help with anxiety. If they have, if they are having a lot of pain, they are able to give a little bit more pain medicine because you stop being worried about, uh, you know, giving them too much that it may make them too sleepy. Because if they're not, if they're still seeking aggressive treatment, you can't be as a you know, you can't be as liberal with medicines like that because you're still worried about the patient having adverse effects. And when you're just seeking comfort to keep that patient comfort and to maximize the quality of life that they have while they have it left, uh, you start looking at different things. So if, if you, you know, withdraw care on a patient and they decide they want ice cream, you give them ice cream. If they want water, you give them water. But if they don't want anything, you're not forcing them to eat. Right. So, because most of the time they don't want anything. So what happens in America, and I don't know if you know this, but w when a doctor and a family disagree on the course of a patient, what happens? Uh, in general, whoever is in the family, and I may be wrong on this and I am going to double check on this, but usually the court does not get involved. Sometimes I would think that the court does, like in the case of Terry Shivo, if the family is not uh, if the family doesn't agree, or I think if there's that's a whole there's a whole lot of drama behind with all of that. Yeah, there's that's uh, partially why the Terry Schiavo case was so uh, over the top in 2006 is that it w was the courts deciding who you know that's why it was a big deal. It was a death panel basically in yeah. in, in Sarah Palin's parlance, and people were arguing: is this the right 
is the court system the correct place to make this decision? And a lot of people didn't think that, uh, even to the point that Congress passed a law. Tom DeLay rushed uh, the, the House Majority Leader at the time, passed a law saying the courts couldn't decide or something along those lines, if my memory serves me correctly. So so that doesn't surprise me that that, that the courts aren't drawn into it. So, I mean, if, if a family doesn't agree with the doctor's course of action here in America, does the, does the doctor just lose automatically? Uh, I, uh, we can, you can't force someone to, you know, go on hospice. You can't force them to do that. Uh, I think some of the, and I'm going to double check on how often the court system actually gets involved. Where things get really hairy is if it is a patient that, uh, you know, that doesn't have advanced directives or a clear power of attorney and you have weird family dynamics, you end up getting into a lot of problems there especially if that patient hasn't made their wishes known and said, hey, this is, this is who's making my decision. Because sometimes, the, you know, the, you get some muddy waters with you have 93 family members and everyone's disagreeing and everyone's fighting in the hospital. And I would love to say that that never happens, but it does. Of course. Of course. So I think you said the key word. And, and uh, do you have any questions for Carly? I mean, she answered a lot of the questions. Are there any in the chat room? Sorry, I went looking for the uh, that law for John Delay. Tom Delay, yeah. Terry, t- That's just John Delay. Google Tom Delay, Terry Schiavo. Uh, yeah, I think you you said that you hit on the key word, and that's force. And the reason that Alfie Evans stands out is, you know, I didn't spend a lot of time studying the the end of life care, so I'm really glad that you called in because that's not something that uh, I've ever dealt with, and I don't know a ton about. Um, my issue with this is that a court system is forcing parents to do something that they don't want to do. Yeah. And, and, yeah, and, and I don't agree with that at all. And there's, and even if, even if you were to cruelly say, we pay for the treatment, we're not paying for it, sorry, they, that, they could pay for it on their own. They did have alternative treatment. They, they did have an alternative treatment plan. So, there really, to me, is just one answer, and that is the United Kingdom basically saying, no, we're in control of you, uh, and doctors take precedent over whatever patients and parents want, and the United Kingdom healthcare system, it is doctor's rule, and patients are second-class citizens when they go into the doctors. I mean, obviously, this is an extraordinary case, but what, what I always try to remind people is that the extraordinary cases, the ones where it's... it's um, it's not as it's it's more clear cut, you know. When you look at this case, we all look at this and go, "Alfie's not coming back." Okay, there is no quality of life here. Every everyone in the entire situation agreed, with the exception of the two parents, um, that there wasn't going to be a future for Alfie Evans. But is he property of the state? Is he owned? by the United Kingdom or is he owned by himself and his parents in his stead? That's the fundamental question. And hopefully we would never get to that place in America because America was founded on the idea that as David French said in the national review, we're founded on the idea that there's something greater than the force of law. That is God. That is natural rights. Call it whatever you'd like that our founding principles are beyond what the the laws say the laws are there to protect us from the government to protect us from the government deciding that we are its property 
the European countries don't have that. They they came from a system where they were property of the state, and then they had to fight to carve out things like the Magna Carta, the Castle Doctrine, and and other mm. uh, other situations. So, but uh, you know, when when you have the United Kingdom, which where where we sprang from, which is a civilized Western country that makes the decision that their citizens are property, that is a that is a scary proposition because. When you start with a Charlie Guard, when you start with an Alfie Evans, everybody kind of goes, yeah, I mean, this kid, I, I, I hate that this happened for the parents, but this kid is, it's like, it is kind of cruel. I could see how the courts could make that decision. The courts are non-biased, so they, of course they could make that decision. But when you look at the eugenics programs of the early 1900s, when you look at Action T4 in Nazi Germany, it always starts with the Alfie Evans. It always starts with the erosion of the respect of life and that the the state is the ultimate arbiter of who lives and who dies because you are their property. That, to me, is what stands out about this case. The fact that Alfie Al, – listen, Alfie, uh, unfortunately, you know, as Carly basically has put it, had no quality of life. But he still was an individual. And his parents were the guardians of that individual, and he has rights, and that includes a right to life. Now, Carly, is it fair to say that people live longer because of modern medicine? You know, nature yes. Nature clearly you're, – you're returning Alfie to a state of nature when you're removing him from the ventilation. Um, but who who makes that determination is really kind of the – the difficult part. I don't. I don't know exactly how to phrase my question without sounding cold. Cold. Chris. But the fact is, is Alfie. Alfie was only alive because of medical intervention. His body clearly right. had, had. His body had clearly shut down, and he was. He was going to pass no matter what. Correct. So. Yeah. Anything any- and likely with likely without them intervening when they did, he probably would have died a long time ago. Right. So, anything else you'd like to interject? Uh, no, I don't think so. Not right now. I might think of something later. All right. Yeah. Text us. Text us in the chat. Well, thank you for adding this perspective. Well, thank you for allowing me to. Yep. Uh, I try to be an expert, uh, but. One person cannot be an expert in the complexities of humanity, so I appreciate when our listeners write in after the fact to editor at wearelibertarians.com and provide a different perspective or, you know, in this case, Carly's a Patreon subscriber, so she was watching the live feed and able to to chime in. Uh, I I don't know. This you, We interrupted you talking about uh, how, how what you would do in this particular situation if you were the father. He uh, worked in nursing home and hospice care inside a dietary. So I, like, I've seen some of that. I didn't know all the technical stuff that happened behind it, but you know, it. I understand everything that Carly has said and everything the doctors have said. But if um, I also feel like being forced to do any of that, or just be able to have, you know, just be able to feel the warmth of my daughter for one extra day, I'd take every day I can get. Yeah, I wouldn't care if it's a vegetable. But that's a, you know, and I'll admit that's a very emotional response and I don't care. Sure. It's my daughter, you know. And ultimately it is your right to make that decision. Right. 
The other thing that gets me was that people are shocked that this was happened inside the the United Kingdom. It's like, what do you think all these memes about if it pleases the crown came from? What right. do you think these ideas came from or fought against? Yeah. Uh, it's more of a just pulling the it just pulls back the the curtain of the idea that no there is no, you know they do not they have like an, an illusion that's that's the biggest illusion of freedom granted yeah there's some illusion of freedom in the united states but no 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 no, no. don't kid yourself you know england a lot of different old countries out uh, out in europe that those are illusions of freedom well they've they've had to f- <laughs> they haven't even fought i mean they didn't fight the revolution i mean they are in a a much legally in a much different place than we are. Yeah. And uh, people feel that America is losing its freedom. And, and in a lot of ways, ways we are, and we have to fight for freedom. I mean, the, the entire idea of watering the tree of Liberty with the blood of Patriots is, is not a violent uh, metaphor. Essentially. It is that every generation has to have a, we are libertarians mm-hmm. and a, Every generation has to have a Murray Rothbard. Every generation has to have a uh, Von Mises. Uh, a, people who shout, this is what liberty looks like. Right. You know, every generation has to reteach the idea of liber, of libertarianism and liberty. Mm-hmm. You know, because the ideas of the founders are so lost at this point that they're radical libertarians in, in this modern day and age. Uh, but we were really founded on libertarian principles. I mean, yeah, there was that slavery thing, Harry, but yeah. other than that, uh, <laughs> yeah, but you know, that that's the, that, but coming from what they had, that was, those are huge steps to read from what they had right. coming with the, the, I don't really leave Alfie too much, but the, the radical thought that you own yourself, that's a massive radical thought back then. Right. You know, no, no, I, I, I choose my own stake in life. The crown does not. You know, right. I choose this own. That's radical, in, um, ra- radical in itself, right? And even some of them, even then, ha- you know, played on the idea, the idea, understanding of moving away from slavery, right? And they had ra- these radical ideas. We we watch all these TV shows like Versailles or Game of Thrones or some of these period pieces. You know, Game of Thrones isn't a you know historically accurate, but it does show you, I think, in pretty decent detail what it was like to live in the Middle Ages. And if you lived under uh, Cersei Lannister, you were her property. And that is the entirety of the, uh, the, the way that modern humans developed. Let's say pretty much from the Sumerians in the 7000 BC era mm-hmm. all the way up until you know the 1700s. People were property of the state. They were property of a monarch. They were property of a dictator. And... We somehow think that because we vote in people that 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 same mindset doesn't still exist, you know, because people in Britain get to vote, they somehow think that they are free. Well, or that they aren't property of the state. And it's incidents like this. And to a lesser extent where the guy in England flipped off the the camera Right. He flipped off the traffic camera, and they arrested him for it, mm-hmm. for vulgarity towards the state or whatever their law is. Count Dankula. Count Dankula, who made a joke on a comedy YouTube channel mm-hmm. and gets arrested for speech. These are incidences of the state reminding its citizens that we are in charge. And just because 
the mm-hmm. knife thing. The knife, yep. The knife thing, going after knives. And you can go back. I remember I was watching an old episode of Top Gear, and they were joking about walking around a machete to defend themselves against terrorists. Right. And it's like, wow, this is an old joke. Whoa, and machete underneath this car seat. Yeah. Man, you couldn't get away with that now. You know, it's uh, it's all these interests in like in the UK that is just like, come on, people, do you, you see this stuff? You, this has been going on for a long time. You have they still have TV licenses. People right. still pay their TV license. They go and rape people. They put cameras everywhere. Yeah. Okay. They don't care about your privacy. They watch all these cameras. They have cops that go into bars to go like break up bar fights or just mess with people. You touch a cop, it's instant jail time. Instant. Instant. So court, you touched a Bobby. Going right. To, going to jail. These are uh, the next generation, I think, of Americans. Uh, as as you talk to kids who are under the age of 30, <laughs> are European socialists in a lot of ways. And so we do have a strain of freedom, but it can easily be extinguished. And you look at the, the love and support of Bernie, the people who grew up under the Barack Obama presidency – the the reaction to Donald Trump uh, and the solutions to Donald Trump that some people come up with, like you go, uh, this is not what I'm looking for. You know, Bernie Sanders with his tax plan where he's going to give every single person a job. He's going to divide us into districts just like they did in the USSR and China. And, <laughs> no, no, uh, scary. And, and the works projects. I mean, it, it's. You know, Bernie Sanders is a European socialist, basically. Like mm-hmm. that, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris. This is what people. This is the kind of future that they want. This is they want the American idea to be transformed into the state owns you. And yes, you're going to get free health care, but we own you. Yeah, but at what cost? At what cost? And that's why Obamacare was such a big deal. You to be a le- a legal citizen in the United States of America had to buy a product. For the first time ever, you had to buy something to be a legal citizen. Mm-hmm. Now you you have to get a, a driver's license, for instance. Okay, but that's state by state, so a state could repeal the licensing of your car and your driver's license. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's possible. Uh, it's also you don't have to drive. Right. You don't have to get a license uh, to be a legal citizen. Correct. Okay. You can, you, you don't have to have identity and, and papers. You're just a free human being. Okay. But now you have to have insurance or they're going to fine you. Don't pay that fine. What's going to happen, Harry? Um, they'll send men with guns to your house to come after you and your family. Right. So buy that product. And, and by the way, we're going to dictate how that product is designed and how it functions. And oh, look, it doesn't. <laughs> right. It doesn't. It costs more. More people can't get on it. It's ridiculous. Right. Um, it was like the first thing that really made me go get um, employee um, paid for healthcare. But for the longest time, I just had the regular healthcare plan that I had when I was eighteen. I can't yeah. play that sucker. You know, right. it was just catastrophic because you know it was you know I mean, you know just a young male. You're young I'm and not, healthy. Yeah, I'm not gonna go. I don't go to the doctor. You know, something happens. I'll fix it myself using WebMD. Okay, find an Ebola twice, but I'm Duct good. Duct tape and uh, super glue and uh, Robitussin. You pour a little Robitussin in the bro- broken Tussin wound. It. Yeah, you just put some Tussin in the broken wound. Tussin it. I didn't have health insurance my entire twenties. I had health insurance one year out of my entire twenties. I did cool things like mountain climb and rode motorcycles. So. Okay, I didn't. I sat on my ass and uh, read books. 
uh, <laughs> and, to- and told libertarians what to do. Uh, that's kind of cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, so we have to be really careful uh, to remember this because once the state has decided that you are its property, then it's pretty hard to carve that back out without bloodshed. So, uh, you, you know, there's there's been a strain of this argument saying, like, this is why the Second Amendment exists. Um, and, and I've seen the reaction to that. A former congressman tweeted that out, basically saying, you know, this is why the Second And I said something very similar on, on my Twitter, uh, you know, that the Second Amendment exists to protect us from a government that thinks that it owns you. It's to protect your right to life, liberty, and property. Yep. And the the point of the Second Amendment is not just to protect your person and to protect your community. Mm-hmm. It's also to protect you from the government. And that is the main reason that the Second Amendment exists. It is, uh, you know, it says well-regulated militias because the, the common defense was basically, you know, men of the community like cause sort of like volunteer fire departments mm-hmm. in the rural areas of our country uh and in some to, larger cities uh, right and you know you didn't need police forces because you had every person had a weapon because they had to hunt for their food or they you know you lived in a, a rural society even if you were in john adams boston in cambridge um and indiana still sprouts a very large volunteer police force right we do yeah, Indiana has a very large volunteer police force. Well, that's weird. How's it weird? I don't know. I just uh, wouldn't have guessed it. Why do you think Indiana police is different from all those other cops? Well, you get like that one, you know, what's was like, wow, I've really got a nice cop today. I was like, well, probably ain't getting paid. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's one of you. He's got a full-time job. Yeah. He can understand the issues that you're going through. Flint, uh, if you haven't watched Flint Town on Netflix, they employ uh, volunteer cops to do some of the low-level take-reports type stuff. Uh, so the police, the 100 police in their department, when they have nine cops on yeah. at any given moment, they're not filling out reports. A volunteer is. And people are happy to volunteer because they live in Flint, Michigan, and they want it to be better. People are more than willing to volunteer to, to protect their community. Well, I would only wish um, Indianapolis to get the um, uh, stolen car task force back on the police force because right now it's very, very scary. If your car gets stolen, um, um, IMPD don't care. So don't get your car stolen in Indianapolis. Yeah, I don't plan on it. Make sure you be in Greenwood or Lawrence or somewhere where they care. So let's define what a tyrannical government is. Um, A government that can do anything for you can do anything to you. Uh, I would say a tyrannical government is the type of government that, even using its laws, decides that it owns your child and you don't. Yeah. And go ahead. Go, no, 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 no. I want to hear what you were going to say before I said what I said, and people think I'm crazy. And if you don't think the United States is the, has got some of those teeth the same way, if you have a child, t- try to take them out of public schools. Yeah. For no reason. It's compulsory. Just, just oh, I want to. I wanna. Right. Utah had a right a law to let them kids to let them do free range kids. Right. So if you don't think the United States government hasn't you know just thought about this idea or tried to put that you know that you know camel's nose underneath the tent on that whole idea, they have. I mean, you you think about the CPS, uh, the story that we did years ago, 2015, 2016 with Joe uh, Ruiz, where he and I talked about the parents that 
their kids walked to the playground and CPS scooped them up and locked them up and said, you can't have your kids back because you let them walk to the park yeah. and they didn't have their kids for two days. Yeah. Scary. So I, scary thought, because I remember like being up in New Hampshire and I, I could hitchhike to another town just to get ice cream. Right. Mittens, you're really getting on my nerves. Come on, get out of here. She's just out of control lately. It's uh, in the new chairs. It must be. Uh, Harry, you're sharing your chair with Mittens, by the way. Is that what it is? Yeah, and that's why there was a towel here when you got here. Mm. Uh, she, you, you also got the floor model, so it's used. Come here. Get out of Harry's <laughs> face. So you're sharing that with uh, the butts of many different people. Aww, mm. the Harry and Mittens are snuggling. Um, all right. So final thoughts on the Alfie Evans case. There was several, like, if you really look at it, it's, it's, it's such an emotional tearjerker. And it just, it goes to, how can I put this? If you do talk about someone with this, just remember everyone's like, um, you know, everyone who did this thing was human and they were thought they were all making the best decision at the time of information that was given to them. But there's only one, there's only two people in that whole thing that were completely personally involved that they really should have had the most, but their care was ignored. There's only two people that are going to go to the grave five years from now. And it's the parents. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is with like the whole, the idea that, um, well, there's kind of like, Carly's not wrong, but it did kind of like hurt a little bit because the idea is like if they, they'd medically intervene with modern medicine, they would have been dead a long time ago. Uh, the child would have been dead earlier. It's the same thing. I, the only thing I ever thought of you was like, you know, when Gunther was coming out, I could have lost Gunther and my wife at the same time. Sure. Cause, but modern medicine made it so that, you know, you know, the newborn was viable at, you know, 30 weeks. So. Right. Yeah. I mean, and that's, why modern medicine is a miracle. That's why it is great. Um, you know, and it extends people's lives and it, and it gives life to people who, you know, a hundred years ago wouldn't have had life. Uh, so it is, it is a, a miraculous thing. And I think the idea of medical ethics is really something that I need to re- read up on because I think we're going to see more and more of that especially as boomers start to get into the, the, uh, the final stretch. Um, and there's so many of them. Now the death panel starts. Oh, <laughs> I'm not going to make a joke because I'm being serious, but because it is, it is a very serious thing. And I think we're, we're moving into a society that is so much more litigious and is so much more desperate for the government to make decisions for us uh, that we've, we've got to be rock solid on who owns our bodies. Uh, who who determines our rights? Who determines our future? It is us. It is self-government. It is uh, self-ownership. You determine your future. You are the holder of your rights. And let the Alfie Evans case be a learning lesson that uh, governments, no matter how liberal, no matter how uh, Western, no matter how free we think they are, they still, at the end of the day, when unchecked, consider you their property. Even though the government is made up of people democratically elected, people that we know, that we have talked to, when humans get in groups of people and give themselves power, they turn into uh, tyrants. I mean, that's just that's just how it is. So, But uh, I do think Harry's also right. On the other hand, everybody in this case, I think, was 
thought that they were doing what was best. Okay, They don't have an understanding of where rights come from, but they were trying to do what was best for the child in their opinion. All the judges said it. You know, It goes without saying uh, that the judge, uh, Lord Alfred somebody – um, you know, he went he went and actually saw Alfie. He actually, before he ruled, went and spent time with Alfie. You know, like if he were just some some guy who didn't care. Yeah. You know, he he it, it's not a publicity stunt for him because it's not how that works. You know, he's not getting elected in your in England. He's he's uh, trying to make the best decision for the child. He just he's just wrong about where rights come from and who is the, who carries the best interest of that child. It is the parents. Mm -hmm. And it's easy for us to get lost in, in all the details and the complexity. And like, this is a situation where the complexity can overwhelm the simplicity of it. And the simple answer is the parents, the parents, the parents, the parents, you have to keep going back to that, you know, to, to, to remove the care of this child from the parents based on a law that says that they were abusing Alfie is mind numbingly stupid. Right. You know, these parents were not uh, abusing their child. They went, they went above and beyond. They moved another nation to grant Mm -hmm. citizenship. He got an audience with the Pope. Like they, they raised probably, they could have raised millions of dollars like Charlie guards family on go on. uh, If they needed to like, these two parents are not bad parents. They are doing everything they can because they love this kid. They're not trying to abuse their child. So, you know, so I, I don't know. It's, it's just a, it's a crummy case. Um, so let's talk about something happy. Uh, any final thoughts on that before we move on? Uh, no, other than it's called the compromise bill, the Teresha Oh, bill the compromise Florida. bill. It's called the compromise. Okay. Um, good news. Sorry. Let's not start with, um, the Iran stuff. Just want to. I thought you wanted to go good news. Yeah. Um. Uh. You. You know what? Korea. You said good news. I. I'm getting to it. You said good news. Korea. And I say Korea intentionally, not North Korea, not South Korea. Korea, Matt. Uh. This is this this story makes me really happy. Uh, I I have spent I spent a lot of 2017 studying North Korea and reading uh, books like Barbara Emmerich's. Um, oh gosh, I wish I had I, I have it somewhere. Um, no, uh, you want me to search for nah, it? Yeah, Barbara Emmerich's book on North Korea. It's so good, such a great book. You've got to read it. It's a fantastic book, um, but. North Korea is a an isolationist state. So you'll hear libertarians. Nothing to envy. Nothing, ordinary lives in North Korea. Ordinary lives. And it basically tells you the history of North Korea through the eyes of ordinary people. And it's traumatic. And this book is, it makes you feel every emotion. It is amazing. And uh, it just, like reading it, sent me off on a a massive amount of reading and documentary viewing about the North Korean people. And I love them. Like they seem like nice, lovely people and it's a shame what their government is doing to them. Uh, and you know, Kim Jong-un is a dictator. And so we have to keep this into perspective. Kim Jong-un is a person that has, you know, like food, double digit. Yeah. Double digit percentages of his population in prison camps. Uh, he, he has murdered his own uncle 
He's murdered his brother uh, to maintain power. Like this is a guy who's 34 years old, who's in power. He's been in power about six years now. Uh, and he's a very wily person and he has used starting with the Olympics. You know, he had a very spastic year where he was testing ICBMs, uh, basically missiles that will reach the United States. Uh, they had uh, their most powerful nuclear detonation in 2017. And Donald Trump basically said, I'm not going to stand for this. He there was a clip of him in 1999, I heard, where he was like, no, I'm going to denuclearize them if forced by necessary. Uh, so Donald Trump has been, and it's funny when you hear that clip, I'll see if I can find it. When you hear that clip of Donald Trump talking in 1999 about North Korea, you hear the, um, the erosion of his, uh, ability to speak <laughs> like, and, and his thought process and how simplistic it is now. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he, he basically told people according to Lindsey Graham, uh, take this for what it's worth. That he's he when he became president he was going to do whatever it took to keep North Korea from getting nuclear weapons, so he's been very tough in his language on them, and that according to South Korea has been a big factor in why North Korea has come to the table. So uh, that's a that's a tough question for non-interventionists, Harry. Um, if you're going to saber rattle as a strategy to bring your enemy to the table. Is that permissible? Ooh, that's man, a that's tough, a, tough quandary, isn't it? That's a good one. Um, considering, right? Um, that is supposed. To, that's also the safeguard against a tyrant in liberty. Anyways, we'll, we'll sable rattle with the Second Amendment if need be to ensure liberty. Right. So, in a way, it's almost the exact same strategy, mm-hmm. but. It's a lot. You're right. No, it's about this. Depending on the person, it's the same scale. Right. So it's the same thing. I just like, no, no, I've got this. This is what I have. If you know, if need be, we'll do this. To right. Be, one, when you come down to it, any person having, I'm sorry, nuclear weapons, a threat against everybody. It's not against one person. It's you're a global threat. Right. Having nuclear weapons is just a threat period. Right. Um, that's why the whole argument of Second Amendment and nukes is stupid. It's like, no, you're a threat to everybody. Yeah. Um, because, you know, North Korea, uh, and we'll get to it, had, it's like Fukushima. Let's say this. Let's not spoil the surprise. Fukushima in Japan, when they had the tsunami, Fukushima started leaking uh, massive amounts of nuclear waste into the ocean. You know, like so, <laughs> nucle- just the ocean. Here's the, I know nuclear power to me. Like I it's, love the idea, but man, it's, it's so risky. beautiful and safe. And a lot of the ra- and a lot of the radiation that what you think has been going on because of Fukushima. Yes, there's been stuff going on, but it's not as bad as everyone puts it out to be. Mm. No radiation from Fukushima is not hitting California. No, it is not affecting any of the wildlife that you eat because if it does, it affects something's bones and doesn't get processed to you unless you eat bone. Right. So you're fine. I know. Never mind. I was going to make a crude joke. Oh, it's going down (laughs) vulgar road about eating bones. There's other thing. If there's other things in the water to worry about, there's the bloop sound in the trench and the gigantic Pacific um, um, plastic uh, problem. There's other things in the Pacific that you should be worried about. And Filipinos, you know, coming over here with their music and their good food. (laughs) (laughs) What did the Filipinos ever do to you? Coming over with their food and making me fat. 
No. Uh, I've never had <laughs> Filipino food. Do they have food? S- stay away from it, man. It makes it so good. <laughs> All right. So let's let's hear what Donald Trump uh, – and I want you, as you listen to this clip, listen to the difference in his speech patterns in 1999, which 19, oh, yeah, 19 is- years ago versus mm-hmm. now. Uh, you know, you clearly hear he's an intelligent man. Uh, and now it's like it's hard to claim he's intelligent, even though even though Jim Comey, James Comey said Donald Trump is not losing his mind. He's not a crazy person. He's a, a person of above uh, average intelligence. Now, why is Dakota? This this show has been a shit show. This has been one of our more disorganized, uh, choppy. We are libertarians episodes. Dakota Davis, of all people is messaging us. He should know better as the boss, as the deputy boss hog of Liberty. Um, so listen to Donald Trump in this clip. As far as nuclear is concerned, this country, us, we need a shield because Russia's unstable. A strategic North Korea's defense unstable. We need a missile defense shield. And if we don't have one and if we don't start develop and now, you know, people used to criticize Reagan. The fact is now it's very developable and we need a shield. If you want to build this strategic defense shield to prevent against missiles, you have to go ahead and negotiate with the Russians a change in the 1972 ABM, the Anti-Ballistic Missile Treaty. What if the Russians say no, no can do? Well, look, you just said it. A change in 1972. A treaty that was made in 1972, who knew what was going to happen in terms of technology? It's time for a change. And we have to sit down with the Russians and many others. Look at North Korea. North Korea is developing missiles like nobody has ever seen. And we better do something rather quickly with them, hopefully through negotiation. But we better do something rather quickly with them. Russia What is, if, on, on the North Korean front, what if the North Koreans don't play ball, develop uh, a nuclear capability, go forward with their missile development? Does the United States act unilaterally? Excuse me. If... If spoken to correctly, correctly, they will play ball. Look on another front what happened recently where Clinton has asked our trade, our so-called trade partners to come so we can renegotiate some fairness into trade, right? They don't show up. They say we're not coming. Why would Germany show up? Why would France show up? Why would Japan show up? They've been ripping us off for years. So why would they come here? It's ridiculous. So it shows a lack of respect for the United States where he asked for a meeting, a summit, and nobody shows. Pretty sad, Wolf. Is, but is there something the United States should be thinking about doing as far as North Korea's potential nuclear development? Absolutely. That it's not- they should be thinking about it. And frankly... Like if, what? Give me an example. I'll, I'll say this. You go in, you start negotiating. And if you don't stop them from doing it, you will have to take rather drastic actions. Because if you don't take them now, you're going to be in awfully big trouble in five years from now when they have more missiles than we do. We're a bunch of saps. There's no question that North Korea is developing missiles. We give them nuclear power plants. We give them tremendous aid because we thought we could bribe them into stop development. Well, they're developing. So much so that South Korea is now developing their own missile systems in order to protect. And I'm, almost, I'm, I'm really not sure I can blame them. But North Korea is totally out of control. And would you rather have a very, very serious chat with them now? And if necessary, you might have to do something fairly drastic. Or would you rather have to go after them in five years when they have more nuclear warheads and missiles than we do? When you say something fairly drastic, that sounds like you're suggesting a potential Israeli-like uh, unilateral strike against the Osirak reactor in Iraq in the, uh, in the 80s. You can never rule it out. What Israel did was fantastic, and you can never <laughs> rule it out. 
And you know what? If you ruled it out, you couldn't talk to them. Why would they? The only thing they're afraid of is exactly what you just said. That's what they're afraid of. That's what they're concerned with. You'll most likely, with that attitude, be able to make a deal. But if you can't, you have to react. And let me tell you something. Don't react in five years, because if you react in five years, nothing's going to be left. You don't have to worry about your Social Security system anymore. All right. So now that's 20 years ago. Now there's some problems with that. First off, they don't have as they never had as many missiles as the United States. Like nobody has as many intercontinental ballistic missiles as the U.S. Like Russia is probably close. That work. China is developing them, but yeah, like they're the military is not even close. It's and and five years down the line, George Bush was sitting at the table negotiating with them, and they had weakened uh, abilities uh, to develop missiles and nuclear weapons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now we're looking here uh, twenty years later. It took them twenty years from his prediction of five to get. ICBMs and nuclear weapons. Now, here's the thing about their program. They have nuclear weapons. Okay. They have the ability to make the, the nuclear warhead that goes on top of a missile. An ICBM is a missile that could hit the United States. So you have to, you have to do two things. And this comes in into the Iran uh, deal as well. So North Korea has one site where they make the nuclear fissile material. And that just collapsed <laughs> in on itself. Let's uh, t- let's take a, a jaunt through our our, our many news stories here. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, uh, one they they in this mountain where they uh, refine the uranium. Essentially, uh, they had some uh, problems, Harry. Yes, uh, it's freaking dangerous. Yeah, they. it's very dangerous to do. And uh, North Korea this month announced that it had suspended all tests of nuclear devices and intercontinental, intercontinental missiles and plans to close its nuclear testing ground. Uh, the statement came after two separate groups of Chinese scientists confirmed last week that North Korea mountain North Korea's mountain nuclear test site had collapsed, putting China and other nearby nations at risk of radioactive exposure. The disintegration following five nuclear blasts may be why Kim declared on Friday that he would freeze the Hermit State's nuclear and missile tests and shut down the site. Mm-hmm. One researcher said, The mountains collapse and the prospect of radioactive exposure in the aftermath confirm a series of exclusive reports by the South China Morning Post on China's fears that Pyongyang's latest nuclear test caused a fallout leak. Um, in the conversation with Moon, the South Korean president Kim denied that he would be merely clearing out damaged goods, saying that the site also has two new tunnels that are larger than previous testing facilities, Yoon said. Um, so, so he's, he. So a Chernobyl like event, but instead of being a power reactor, they were making weapons. Right. And you just got your putty everywhere. I just got my putty uh, all over my all over my prep. Dang it! Uh, yeah, yeah. But unlike Chernobyl, what it was just a just a little itty bitty power reactor. Yeah, little itty bitty power reactor. This was doing weapons, and they had a little mistake. Right. Um, that's why when you, uh, it's just the difference of safeguards that went into it when United States developed uh, their nuclear program. Yes, they were in a hurry, but they also did it in the middle of no. Um, they also had the ability of having so much no nothingness to try right. it out in, and also majority of science and safe precautions. They were doing it and doing it safe, and no one else has done it before them, so they were being extra cautious and didn't really know. I don't really think the United States nuclear program would have went as fast as it did if they would have known all the risks. Right. 
you know, and knew the explosion that could have happened in their face. Like killing John Wayne. Whoa, uh, whoa. Because while they filmed all these Westerns after the blasts and uh, John Wayne and and a lot of the people who worked on those Westerns ended up getting cancer. Because of shooting. And and I'm going to Vegas next weekend for my brother's wedding. First off. And people are like, hey, you want to go see the nuclear testing? I was like, no. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. No, no, no. It is is less background radiation there than is the whole flight out there. If you don't believe me, bring uh, bring a background radiation monitor with you. Go to the bathroom, turn it on, watch it jump up, and then you hit there in the ground. You barely see anything. It's all background radiation. You'll be fine. Okay. Okay. All right. That's not how radiation works. Talk to Reinhold. Talk to Reinhold. I'll teach you about. I don't want to do that. I'll just talk your ear off the radiation. Don't have to talk to Reinhold. Yeah. Uh, no, I listen. You you've convinced me. Maybe I'll do it. But do it. It's fun. It's it's a um. Just don't. How can I put it? When you get done. Take a shower, get that dust off you. You don't want any of that dust staying off you too long, especially your genitals. So um, you just said it was safe. It is safe. I'm just, it's about prolonged exposure to the background radiation. Okay. Okay. So North Korea has nuclear weapons. Okay. They have anywhere from 20 to 60 by some estimates, and they now have the capability to uh, shoot interballistic missiles. And they just lost their testing facility. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you're if you're King, Kim Jong Un and you just had a great, you, you almost had the moral equivalency of of yourself with all of your competitors, even though you run a police state, yeah, uh, and you you murder people at your will, and you basically are a, a total dictator that starves your own people. Uh, you, well, you they don't even have food to give to people. Exactly right. Uh, now. You are you are you're sitting here with the following calculations, okay? You you know that you need nuclear weapons because you have to survive because you have an aggressive president where Donald Trump saying those things in 1999. I guarantee he's saying the exact same things behind closed doors. I'm taking nothing off the table. I'm going to prevent you from furthering your program, and I will use military force if I have to. I will do whatever it takes. All right. Well, that's one factor. Uh, all right. I have lost my only testing facility, mm-hmm. and uh, I can claim that I've shut it down out of goodwill. If I if I talk to the South Koreans, there's a new South Korean president mm-hmm. who is of the very liberal wing of and the most hilarious thing of of all my prep was listening to Ben Shapiro, poo poo the idea of talking to. North Korea, because the South Korean president is a liberal. (laughs) I'm just going to go out on a limb and guess that, yeah, their liberal is probably different than our liberal. I don't know. But uh, like, well, we can't talk to them because our allies are liberal. But but wait four years. So this is a new president. And the president has like uh, some crazy high approval rating, like 70, 80 Mm percent approval rating. Uh, after the Olympics and after the coup of getting North Korea to to do a combined Olympics, and his sister came down, and they have elections coming up in July, I believe, and so he really is interested in riding this crest, and yep. he's very early in his term. Past deals with past South Korean presidents came at the end of that person's term, when obviously it's like a sitting a lame duck president here. You're ready for Obama and Bush and Clinton and these people to leave. And it's the same in South Korea. So you've got somebody who's brand new and you have four years to work with them. Mm -hmm. And 
you you have a long relationship that you can work out the process of denuclearization, uh, reunification, uh, and and peace in general. Go ahead. Well, I was going to also say, and possibly he can probably work out a way where things become more peaceful and his head doesn't go on a block. Right. Or go into jail. Right. Because he's seen that uh, when... You, when you lose your ma- weapons of mass destruction, like Saddam Hussein and, and Muammar Gaddafi and uh, uh, what's the guy in Egypt uh, that that lost his head, Mubarak, Mubarak in, in yeah. the in the Arab Spring, mm-hmm. he sees the consequences of losing your weapons of mass destruction. Now, so he's he could be playing us, okay? He could be saying, "All right, I've already got the technology to do the ICBMs." I've got the ability to make the nuclear weapons. I know how to do it. I've got the information. We figured it out. But I need time because I need to rebuild what just was lost, right. and I need money to do it. Mm-hmm. And the, what's the best way to give myself time and money? Strike a deal with the Americans like my father and grandfather did. Strike a deal that will denuclearize the peninsula. Mm-hmm. I will say that I'm doing all of these things. And then I will never do it, and I will get a boatload of cash, and I might get some of the UN sanctions that are crippling our economy lifted, and then I can work in secret to rebuild my nuclear capability. Now, this is what Iran is basically doing as well. We just gave this deal to Iran. Okay, we're eight years from an like this. The the Iran nuclear deal basically said. All right, we're we're not going to talk about the the delivery system. We're not going to talk about the ICBMs. We're only going to deal with your ability to create the the warhead, the fissile material, and we're going to shut down your labs, and you're not allowed to do these things. Okay, so they shut down their centrifuges, and in return, we gave them pallets of billions of dollars of cash. Why cash? Why not wire the money, Harry? Because cash is untraceable. Yes. So all those billions of dollars on pallets that we delivered to the Iranians as a, a reparation, basically, for overthrowing their government for so many years and for imposing sanctions on them, that cash was all then flooded to Assad. And it was flooded to Hezbollah and Jordan and Lebanon. And it is uh, it is part of the reason that we are more engrossed in Syria than ever before, because we basically gave money to people we're fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, Perfect plan. And... Ten years down the road, centrifuges are going to be cheaper. But you just say, oh, we don't know how to do those weapons yet, so we'll stop development. What happened yesterday? One of the craziest press conferences I've ever seen. BB Netanyahu, if you haven't watched it, you got to watch it, the, just for the visual of it. The Mossad, which is their CIA in Israel, went to this little storage unit in Tehran and stole like 20 tons of documents. <laughs> and CDs and basically proved that they had the ability to create nuclear weapons in the late nineties. And they stopped building those programs uh, in the late nineties, but they do have the ability to do it. So Netanyahu's argument was a little thin. Uh, It was very thin. And it was all based around stuff that they, they stopped doing in the early two thousands, like before, like early George Bush era. Uh, And, the reason Netanyahu did it is that Trump has to sign a document on May 12th stating that the Iranians are or are not abiding by this nuclear agreement. And if he does sign it, then probably 
strategically the right thing for him to do. Mm-hmm. Because if you were to pull out of the Iranian deal, like you'd need to, like we don't have an ambassador for South Korea. Like we don't have most of the ambassadorships filled. We don't have um, deputy secretaries of state. <laughs> like, <laughs> like we don't have any of this stuff filled out because the the Trump administration and the Senate, which is controlled by Republicans, can't get a lot of people confirmed. So you don't even have the diplomatic infrastructure to deal with the fallout of not signing the agreement mm-hmm. and and canceling that deal. But probably more important to Trump's thinking is that May 14th, two days later, is when the Israeli embassy opens. And this is a big win that you're going to use to fundraise, and and it's and it's a feather in your cap because no other president did it. Um, Jared Kushner's going. He's going to give a speech. There's been some rumors that Pence and Trump himself may go to the opening. If you don't sign the Iran deal, you completely overshadow it. You have the opportunity to not sign this agreement six months later. So he'll probably sign this agreement. But they are kind of signaling. John Bolton, Mike Pompeo, Donald Trump himself all had talked with Bibi Netanyahu about this presentation a couple months ago. Mm -hmm. So this may be a coordinated thing where Netanyahu is giving Trump cover to leave the nuclear deal. So uh, that's what's going on with Iran, basically. And so you have these two countries which are hostile to the United States, which are developing nuclear weapons, which are right on the brink, if not there. Uh, They just don't have the ability to deliver it to the United States. North Korea has a greater ability than Iran. Iran has the ability to blow up Israel and Saudi Arabia and uh, and uh, all the American troops that we seem to have stationed in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. Um, So which are really just keeping Israel at bay. Exactly. Right. Um, So. We, uh, we, you know, he may be doing, he may be stalling for time trying to get the same deal that the Iranians got. And he may be doing what North Korea has always done, which is lie and get sanctions lifted and then move on their merry way. But here's some other considerations to take into account. There's a large growing middle class in North Korea mm-hmm. and they're young and they're, professionals people like harry and i Mm -hmm. if we were in north korea we would there's a there's a growing sentiment uh, amongst that middle class there's also an opening of the economy uh under kim jong-il but accelerating under un they have these open-air markets Mm -hmm. now you were not allowed to do like you always had black markets yes but starting at starting during the famines in the 90s Officials started to look the other way, and the central government never cracked down on these markets where people would sell, you know, shoes that they made, or clothing, or basic goods, or food that they had that they had secretly grown, or kimchi. Uh, and these have grown into more robust markets. And Kim Jong Un even tours some of these on state TV. So there is an opening. Um, I tried to find it in that Barbara Emmerich book. But there was also a defector who had been very close to Kim Jong-un who said at one point that he wanted to open China the same way that uh, – he wanted to open North Korea the same way that China had been opened. Right. You know, he wants to be a liberalizer. He wants to open up North Korea and uh, and, and make it a, a, a state that interacts with the world basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he has financial pressures that are that are growing inside of the state. He understands that the grip of totalitarianism in the internet internet age especially is growing more and more difficult. 
Uh, and he understands that if he were to open up his economy, they would become much more prosperous. Um, so that, that and the difference between those past times when they've sat down at the table, Un is promising. Un has already said, we'll talk denuclearization and we're going to take off the withdrawal of American troops from South Korea off the table. Now, in the past, they have said, we're not going to negotiate until the United States leaves the peninsula, to which Washington said, fat chance, we need this strategic position to fight China if we need to. Uh, the You mean protect South Korea. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I, did I slip and say the truth? Um, yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, we need you to withdraw from Japan and... Uh, and, and South Korea, uh, have you read about the Thucydides trap? Um, <laughs> there's a great book called Destined for War by Graham Allison that you should look up. Um, so so that he has taken that off of the table. Uh, he's, he's done a lot of different things that are really uh, are, are more notable, including walking into South Korea, <laughs> so, which, was, which was a very big deal. Uh, that he uh, he said he's also prepared to talk to Japan anytime. Um, he wants frequent meetings. He said to uh, he said at one point once we started talking, the United States will know that I am not a person to launch nuclear weapons at South Korea, the Pacific, or the United States. Uh, so he's he's trying. It sounds like he's saying all the right things. And I think all speculation, of course, uh, because I haven't talked to Dennis Rodman in a while, <laughs> um, but. That talking with South Korea and China, that Kim Jong may have found a way to, so he doesn't, like I said, doesn't end up in a box. Right. Doesn't end up, and the, the only way to do it is to open yourself up just like China did, because it's, a lot of the heads in the Chinese government, their heads did not roll, and they opened themselves up with special economic zones. Right. And use that to fund whatever weird thing they're doing in China, but it also, like, mild, made the, you know, to detect the fangs out of the red China. Right. And doing that is in North Korea, one will make sure he doesn't end up in a box. His people get fed and everyone else, you know, you know, it helps out his his country. Mm -hmm. Putting a special economic zone right there on the edge of South Korea, Mm -hmm. uh, right there. So it's right there in the north. So now South Korea has a spot to basically has their China. They can go somewhere to one to ship and get cheap labor and cheap goods from. Right. Which this is already happening. This is part of a previous deal. Uh, that was struck in 2007. There are little zones along the DMZ where uh, South Korean companies go and, you know, they basically hire cheap labor to compete with Chinese labor. Mm-hmm. And that's part of what they'd like to do more of. Right. North Korea and South Korea. And when you also bring in Western capital in that type of style, you also have the ability to also bring in food because they do have shipping ports. Right. And that also bring in um, one fish and one just fishing style because a lot of the problems is uh, North Korea. They just don't have people who are trained fishermen anymore. Right. They're running low on them. A lot of those were old men and they're dead now. Yeah. So bringing in skill and because people will, one, take the young guys or young trained professionals and or people who don't aren't, aren't trained in other skills. But, you know, they've got good backs and hands. They can train to be fishermen. It's all this other like and it allows them to basically keep living mm-hmm. and once it's open up it's because of the internet and the well just of the way communications it is now in 2018 get it will it won't allow them to be locked up the way they are anymore. right you can't do that anymore right and if they don't they'll crumble a different way right 
So these are very strategic, strategic, smart moves to help kick the can down the road. Yeah. Yeah. So, and like once the generals start bringing in money and start getting actually paid and have food, they're not really going to want to start that nuclear program back up. Yeah, exactly right. Because then why risk what, what economic benefits you brought in? Right. Yeah, just like the whole Chinese like war with China, like that. Whoa, 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 whoa. Did you see my Bentley? <laughs> well, when China opened up, they had nuclear weapons and nobody cared. And when and when Carter, you know, Nixon opened China, but then Carter signed a deal with them that allowed us to trade with China. Mm-hmm. And you know, nobody even talked about the fact that they had nuclear weapons because they wanted access to that that market of cheap labor. Thanks, right. And then the Chinese officials, you know, we're communists, but ooh, look at this money coming in. They've they've mm. they've managed to blend, the, you know, the the same system that South, that North Korea has with South Korean capitalism. So, mm-hmm. uh, so so this is from a Stratfor Global Intelligence document uh, talking about some of the history of why they think the way that they do. You know, North Korea has always had one goal, and that's the reunification of the Korean Peninsula because. Korea has always been vulnerable as a pathway of invasion. And so they know that if it's a divided Korea, they could be a pathway of invasion again. Part of North Korea's thinking uh, is shaped by war and also very outdated modes of thinking. Mm-hmm. Like China doesn't need to march through North Korea <laughs> yeah. in this day and age. They can just launch it from uh, from all the islands that they're building in the South Pacific Sea. Um, so Pyongyang ties its history to the Kogyoro Kingdom, which lasted from the 1st to the 7th centuries. As is, as it, At its peak, it stretched from the Han River well into modern-day northeastern China. An alliance between the south, southern Korean Kingdom of Silla and the Tang China led to the collapse of the Kogyoro. Much of its territory and population were left in China's hands, and China's influence and power were extended at least loosely over subsequent kingdoms. The division of Korea after World War II between the two Cold War camps only reinforced the message to North Korea. A divided Korea is weak. A Korean dependent upon foreign power is exploitable. And true independence and security come only from self-reliance and indigenous strength. Uh, And they have been pursuing nuclear weapons since the 60s. Now, part of the indigenous strength is uh, we've talked in the past about Juche which is the philosophy that uh, Kim Il-sung, the founder of North Korea, created. And it's basically a religion that says the North Korean people are the greatest, most racially pure people on the planet, and they don't need the rest of the world. They can do anything if they put their minds to it. Uh, so basically they're uh, Gen Z kindergarten teachers. <laughs> All right, before it was cool? Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> um, now... People make the comparison between the North Koreans and Libya, and the difference is that North Korea has tens of thousands of American soldiers on on its borders, and you know it's aimed at a U.S. capital. And there's a lot of uh, allies like Japan, Russia, and China, which are close, and they're not going to risk nuclear war. So when when people say uh, that. You know, the like John Bolton was talking about Libya's denuclearization as a potential strategy, and then people pointed out the obvious that we just sucked the the leadership out as a vacuum, and then created a terrorist state. Uh, that's not necessarily going to happen here because the Middle East and the and the Far East are two very different mentalities for sure. Go ahead. And the other thing is, like, if 
I really think if the United States really did have to invade North Korea, mm-hmm. I really think that Russia and China would probably go there first. Like, no, 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 no. We got this. Right. Back up. Back up. Back up. <laughs> You're too close. Yeah. <laughs> now, antiwar.com had a great article on this. Uh, antiwar.com, which you should read every day. Korea mm-hmm. and the geopolitics of the impossible. Uh, and, you know, he, he bit this guy, which I wish... Uh, it's it's here. Let me see. Let me look at his name. Let me give him Daniel? credit. John Daniel? Pfeffer. Oh, I was wrong. Uh, so John Pfeffer basically wrote this great article about this, uh, which I'll put in the show notes. Um, uh, people don't believe Pyongyang because everything they say is nonsense a lot of times in public. Uh, but the look at the recent announcement of the nuclear suspension as a number of skeptics point out the north korean government wasn't really saying anything radically new it had already declared in march its willingness to maintain a moratorium on testing and then you had the damage uh all of this is true let's start with the test site yes the nuclear test site off set off several small earthquakes and a number of tunnels at the site collapsed but as 38 north points out there's no basis to conclude that the Pongyiri nuclear test site is no longer viable for future nuclear testing. There remain two portal areas located in more pristine, competent rock that can be used for future tests. Uh, they haven't used any other site. As for the moratorium on testing, uh, Victor Cha uh, says, this is not a denuclearization statement. It is a statement that North Korea can be responsible nucle- with, as a nuclear weapon state. So they're basically saying, like, hey, we're, we can self-police ourselves. We know how to take care of this. Um, it, it didn't make the discontinuation of testing contingent on anything else. Granted, it can be reversed, but it's still an important signal of the willingness to negotiate. So they voluntarily said, we'll denuclearize, or we'll start working towards that. And the document that they put together... Uh, it's the first time the North Koreans have actually agreed to denuclearization. Uh, so, so uh, he, he kind of talks about um, for Moon to succeed where his predecessors failed, he should pursue three principles. Uh, quid pro quo. First, the South can't simply buy the North's participation as Kim Dae-jung initially tried. For this third attempt at reunification uh, to work, it must have something in the South. It must. There must be something in it for the South as well, right. because Southern uh, South Koreans, their politicians, their people need some benefit as well. And he talks about the Kaesong Industrial Complex that serves as the equitable approach, where tens of thousands are provided jobs and training for North Korean workers, as well as a cut of the pie for the North Korean government, and South Korean companies get cheaper labor. Mm-hmm. Um, second. Moon needs to get bipartisan support in his country because without bipartisan support, it's going to be very difficult for him to succeed because some others have failed as you've transitioned administrations in South Korea. It's all fallen apart. Um, He should also welcome uh, more international thought. But he writes, Korean steps towards peace, denuclearization, reunification also should have substantial civil society buy-in from groups in South Korea, their counterparts in East Asia, and like-minded groups in Europe and North America. It's going to be uh, an international uh, an international agreement, kind of like the Iranian agreement. Um, so, so, yeah, this is 
there's there's a lot at stake here, and man, do you think Donald Trump <laughs> can <laughs> can do it? Because you know he could go in there and want a win, and and you hear all these pundits talking about, oh, it's about the, you know, what are we going to get out of it? What are we going to get out of it? How about how about we like denuclearize? How about you just be happy with the fact that there's peace on the on the Korean Peninsula? Yeah, about that. Um, you know, and so Donald Trump has a few chips to to play. First, we have U.S. sanctions. All right, the U.S. sanctions. I mean, these run deep. Like I'm, I was looking at the list. Uh, we've mentioned North Korea and blocked uh, North Korean trade in the Export Import Bank of forty five, Bretton Woods of forty five, the UN Participation Act of forty five, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, State Department Basic Authority Acts of fifty six, the yep. Trade Act of seventy four, uh, the Export Administration of seventy nine. The Iran, North Korea, Syria Non-Proliferation Act of 2000. Uh, this is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 different, uh, including the return of North Korea to the state sponsors of terrorism in 2017. So there's a lot of U.S. sanctions, and those probably are not going to get touched. But there's a lot of resolutions in the in the United Nations um you know, starting with uh, the Security Council Resolution 1718 in 2006, 2017, and a bunch of sanctions last year that really can 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 hurt and cripple their economy because what it does is it affects the ability to trade. The UN sanctions affect their ability to trade with China, Russia, South Korea, Vietnam, uh, and and other countries that don't necessarily have the moral issue with trading with North Korea that we do. So. Look for the North. Look for uh, the North really to focus on those UN resolutions, and that's something that Donald Trump can can really play with. Yeah. So. So yeah. Um, or just w- or just one, just given like the ability of the United States and Marines to or Navy to protect their their their, their boats from shipping right. from Somali pirates or other things that are out there in the water. What the United States military does for every, most shipping lanes out there. Yeah. I want to read this entire article because it's so good, but I'm not going to, okay, because it's long. And it's at theamericanconservative.com, written by Peter Van Buren. What if Kim Jong-un is looking to liberalize? Oh, yeah, go ahead. Um, yeah, just just sit back in your chair. Um, he basically starts out talking about Deng Xiaoping, who in 79 – rose to power and then started to open everything up and uh Deng signed an agreement with President Jimmy Carter that covered his security needs uh diplomatically papered over long simmering political issues like the status of Taiwan and allowed him to introduce changes that led to China's economic ascendance uh a key sign that Kim is headed the same way is the extraordinary number of concessions he's made about in the upcoming summits uh, he's seeking a formal end to the 50 war. Uh, so when you hear all these, uh, like the Chuck Todds of the world going, uh, we've given them a meeting with the president and we've gotten nothing in return. That's just not true. It's just flat out not true. And it is Washington groupthink. Sounds and, good. Yeah, which we'll get to in a moment, but it's not true. He's seeking to end the war. Uh, he's going to basically give a massive win to his uh, quote unquote opponent. Moon, who's also the son of North Korean refugees, ahead of the June 13th elections, uh, he he announced denuclearization, and he'll no longer insist that we remove our troops. Uh, Trump could never agree to troop reductions at this early stage, and could never move into a summit if denuclearization was non-negotiable. 
Kim also announced the end of his signature domestic policy, the parallel advance of defense and domestic economy. Um, his father only promoted the defense called Sogun, where basically his domestic policy was solely focused on building their military. And then Kim Jong-un came in and said, we're going to build our military and our domestic economy. And he is announcing that he is going to focus more on the domestic economy. At a recent Workers' Party meeting, now this is important because this is on state TV. This is to the Workers' Party. This is in public in North Korea, not in a private room in South Korea where his people can't hear it. He said it was time to focus on the nation's resources, on rebuilding its economy, a clear signal to domestic elites that he is aware of their desire for a better life. He was even hanging out with some K-pop stars. Um, so he uh, – <laughs> what? Just hanging out with the K-pop stuff. Yeah, I know, yeah. He's like a little superstar. Um, you know. And then he talks about the economic zones that I talked about earlier. Uh, and he encourages Trump not to fall prey to establishment fears. Um, he writes, political opponents will claim they'll just renege. You just wait. They will make the same uh, we beat the other guy statements Kim and Trump will make for their domestic audiences. Media's, uh, media is already, teeny, is already teeing up. Denuclearization is a straw man claiming that if Trump comes home and the North still retains its weapons, he has failed. Such remarks are a historical nonsense. Denuclearization is a process, not an event. The Obama era Iran Accords required two years of negotiation that didn't even involve the actual weapons. The U.S. Soviet Cold War progress was measured in baby steps strung out over decades. Fast track denuclearization has its history, too, in the failures of Libya and Iraq. Success will be measured as North Korea engages in the international system, thus reducing the threat of war as a base for reducing the weapons. Uh, so re reviewing, and I love this line, reviewing the last 10 years of Western political thought on North Korea, it is staggering how poorly predictions have panned out. There, have been, there has been no succession struggle, no societal collapse, no coup, no war, and no progress. It has painted one picture. The West is intellectually blocked from considering another. That is the most dangerous thing afoot as the 2018 summit looms. And so they're absolutely right. Uh, it, it's, it's a, it, it is disturbing how the, uh, the media, and I haven't really seen this, but you watch, like I was reading the New York times in my prep as two Korea's talk piece, Trump's bargaining chips slip away. Listen to this paragraph. The talk of peace is likely to weak, is likely to weaken the two levers that Mr. Trump used to pressure Mr. Kim to come to the bargaining table. A resumption of regular diplomatic exchanges between the two Koreas, analysts said, will inevitably erode the crippling economic sanctions against the North, while Mr. Trump will find it hard to threaten military action against a country that is extending an olive branch. So the thinking in this news article is that it's a bad thing that Donald Trump can threat, can't threaten them with military action anymore because the North and South are talking and America is engaging in peace talks with them. Isn't peace talks the goal? Depends on where you get your IRA at. <laughs> I guess. Okay, if, you get, <laughs> if your IRA is in like Stratford, Boeing, right. you're like, oh, what are you doing? <laughs> right. It, it's just amazing how... Uh, and to get these F-35s off the ground. Um, go ahead, Harry. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. <laughs> you got stuff to say, do it. Say it. 
because you're, you're right. It's just more of like they won't accept a just because it happened under Trump and didn't happen under Obama. Uh, part, yeah. Like the thought of Donald Trump getting a uh, Nobel Peace Prize. Yeah. Has to be uh, panic inducing for people in New York Times. Trust me. I, I've, I don't I don't want any president. I don't think a president should have a Nobel Peace Prize. No. But the absurdity that, you know, and then there are these massive jokes about like, well, he didn't do anything. He didn't make this happen. All right. There's a lot of things Obama didn't make happen. He got credit for it. Yeah. I don't, you know. Well, he he really, I mean, his tough stance has been a part of it. Yeah. Because I think, uh, you know, part of John Un's uh, calculation is not only the rising pressure in his country, it's the rising pressure of the United States and mm-hmm. and also his weakened capabilities now with this collapse. Correct. And watching the, the stuff that's going on with China and Russia and then noticing, like, you know, it's, there's too many too many variables right there going right. around him and that they can't really be up sure of one thing. Right. And they're like, they, well, can they really lean on Russia? Russia's already got in, you know, messing with stuff in the Middle East. They're low on funds and doing other stuff. So right. will they come over? Possibly not to help you. Right. Uh, China, well, they're just, they're just a trade war. You know, not, well, they didn't enter it. <laughs> right. <laughs> China, China has also, has always had a dim view of North Korea. Right. Uh, Kim Jong-un got a meeting with Xi Jinping, the president, the, the ruler of China the, for life. Yeah. Uh, and he was just like nonplussed. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think their response was like, you know, you need to cut it out or that'll be, you know, the, you know, yeah. my vacation town. Right. <laughs> exactly. Right. I'm going to yeah. turn that to my little vacation country. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, go ahead. It's, let's say that the, like the ridiculous of it is like, the, the, the you know the way they're already swinging it, and the other, but the other thing is smart because one, you know, this president is brand new. If getting into it, you can also help Trump become a two-term president with this, right? I know. I just threw up in my own mouth saying I know. that. <laughs> and that's one will let you guarantee some bit of stability through these baby step talks as you move through, right? And the other thing was when people talk about denuclearization, you know, there's a lot of things you just can't turn off. Some things are safer as they are. It's whole units and working, and then they are turning on off and putting, you know, and trying to find somewhere to store. Yeah. You know, uh, because, you know, like, because turn it off. It's like, where are you going to store it now? It's going to be doing its thing for the next thousand years. Yeah. Like, let's look at the actual declaration, because uh, I printed off the actual, actual declaration and read through it. I mean, listen to the complication of what these two countries are talking about. Um, you know, they talk about they met at the Peace House on the 27th uh, with Kim coming into South Korea and then pulling the South Korean president into North Korea. And they stood there and talked for 30 minutes and ho- held hands and hung out. Um, you know, they they write and they both signed this agreement that says the two leaders sharing the firm commitment to bring a swift end to the Cold War relic of longstanding division and confrontation to boldly approach a new era of national reconciliation, peace and prosperity and to improve and cultivate inter-Korean relations in a more active manner, declares the following. Uh, they are going to recon- reconnect blood relations uh, mm-hmm. and you know, bring forward the future of co-prosperity and unification facilitated by comprehensive and groundbreaking achievements in inner. And in, in basically uh, they're resuming 
something that they had stopped last year, which is families from the north and the south are granted in, uh, the ability to meet each other. So if you had two sisters, for instance, or a mother and daughter or whatever, you could you could meet at the DMZ and, and spend some time together. So they're resuming that. Um, they affirm the principle of determining the destiny of the Korean nation on their own accord and agreed to bring forth the watershed moment for the improvement of the relations uh, and fully implement all existing agreements and declarations, which I think is significant. Uh, they agreed to hold dialogue and negotiations at a high level. Uh, they agreed to establish a joint liaison office with representatives and Gay Song uh, so they can work together. They've also reinstalled the telephone, so they have the ability to have direct access from the president to the president. Uh, and they ing- agreed to encourage more active cooperation at all levels mm-hmm. uh, with a sense of national reconciliation and unity. Uh, and they're going to hold special events. They're going to participate jointly in international sporting events. Uh, North and South Korea will swiftly resolve the humanitarian issues that resulted from the division of the nation and to convene the inner Korean Red Cross meetings. Um, more reunions. Uh, they are going to implement some new projects that never got done from the 2007 agreement, including a transportation corridor. Uh, they are going to make joint efforts to alleviate the danger of war. Uh, North and South Korea agreed to completely cease all hostile acts against each other in every domain, including land, air, and sea, uh, including military uh, actions, actions that they take in the in the DMZ, like the broadcasts on loudspeakers and leaflets on both sides. Um, so Taylor Swift listens are going to go down. Yeah, exactly. They used to just blast music all night long into North Korea. Uh, they're going to open up some. Uh, th- they had some clashes in the in the West Sea, and so now they're going to work to open that up so they're it's safe for people to fish. Um, they're going to hold frequent meetings between the two militaries. Um, they are going to bring an end to the armistice. They reaffirmed the non-aggression agreement. Uh, they agreed to carry out disarmament disarmament in a phased manner. Uh, and start degradating the the confidence building in both sides. Uh, they're going to hold trilateral meetings with the U.S. and China, uh, and this one is the main one. South and Cor- they agree the common goal of realizing through complete denuclearization a nuclear free Korean Peninsula. Um. So, I I just think that. Uh, the, the two sides, I think Kim Jong-un is not his father and grandfather, and he doesn't face the same world that they faced, nor does he face the same challenges. And so it's it's the first go-around with him. And if he lies, he lies, okay? They already have ICBMs, and they already have nuclear capabilities, okay? they if If they agree to denuclearize with the United States, then they have – the IAEA from the UN coming in and doing inspections. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read one article from a former member of the IAEA that said the North Koreans were extremely easy to work with. They were super polite. They were never in any danger. 
they were forthcoming with information completely different than the Iraqis and Libya where you weren't you were you were taking your life into your own hands so it, it, it to me it's what's the alternative okay well you can't trust the North Koreans you shouldn't talk to them you shouldn't make agreements with them shouldn't do this okay so what's the alternative like they're gonna make nuclear weapons either way at least we're going to make it harder on them if we're in a peace agreement with them than it is if we ratchet down sanctions or, God forbid, have a, a, a military action. Like right. the, the the conservatives and the hawks are offering no solution. Mm-hmm. They're just offering, don't trust them, don't trust them, don't trust Like, okay, well, then what's the alternative? What's your solution to the problem? Because you haven't done a very good job so far. Make them fat with McDonald's. <laughs> is that is that your solution? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Kind of hard to fight a war if you're shoving your face full of Big Macs. Didn't didn't Kim say he wanted to bring McDonald's to North Korea? Yes. Yeah, I think yeah. he uh, uh Yeah, I, I just look at the foreign policy establishment of this country and in the media is out of control. They don't like I look at this and I see something completely different than what these people see. Mm-hmm. And I don't get it. Like how could these people be lusting for war the way that they are? I don't know. Like I said, it all depends where your IRA is at. Right. Um, yeah, so Mark Landler in the Times, uh, in, this is from The Nation. South and North Korea prepared to discuss an end to the Korean War. This was also a really, really well-written written article. And uh, they basically talk about, um, in, in the latter half, uh, the the pessimism and the consensus and how it just was all basically the the mainstream media is trying to push us into a war when they want peace. Yeah. <laughs> so check that out in the show notes. Yeah. So. Which was crazy to watch. Like just the video. I remember watching the video on Facebook, scrolling down and watching the two leaders meeting on the border, shaking hands, holding hands, and then and then watching Kim cross over. Yeah. <laughs> blown away it was awesome i didn't think what i was watching was real it, i mean last year was one of the scariest times in the in all of the relation i mean it was i was i was researching it so when we went to war with them yeah i understood them yeah, considering like most of us like around our age group you know most of us was made aware of really how with the issues of north korea because of channel like me channel one news and lisa ling yep you know and that's like oh what's the north korea oh it's just some doofy whoa what did they do <laughs> <laughs> you know and then here it is now yeah yeah so good stuff yeah uh so that is good news to balance out the bad news at the beginning uh carly um did post some other notes and stuff like that okay i, I went ahead to copy and put that on the trailer card and marked you already. all right cool yeah we'll put that in the show notes carly from earlier who was giving us some information uh we'll have some further information there now uh i just mentioned a nation article and here's a mother jones article <laughs> we we we've looked at National Review, we've looked at the New York Times, we've looked at Go, Stratford, Stratford we've looked at antiwar.com, we've looked at Reason, we've looked at Mother Jones, The Nation, we've been all over the place today. Next lawn. <laughs> so, listen. Uh you got to you got to go you don't you'd never know what you're going to find. And I found a great breakdown of the Golden State. Do you know about the Golden State Killer? Uh, like you've probably heard of yes. it. Yeah. Yeah, Lacey likes the most most people's wives would like to watch that morbid stuff on that channel. Right. So 48 Hours brilliantly 
took their show and made it a podcast. And so they just released one on the Golden State uh, Killer. This dude was a real piece of shit. Yes. <laughs> like uh, he is uh, th- the guy that they have in custody now is 72 year old Joseph James D'Angelo. Mm-hmm. And he was a police officer who committed crimes I- across California in like 20 different jurisdictions, mm-hmm. raping, murdering, raping young women, like 13 year old girls. Mm-hmm. You know, like he would he would uh, break into a house and. He, there was a meeting at one point, okay, and he had never – he had only struck women, mm-hmm. and the news reported that he had he, – he's only struck women. And so he changed his pattern, and he started breaking in, raping the wives and killing the men. Uh, at, in one case, he, like, stacked dishes on the guy's back and made him listen while he raped his wife and then, like, killed them both. Uh you know, any there was a meeting where a guy said, you know, if he breaks into my house, I'm going to kill him. Mm-hmm. And the Golden State Killer targeted that guy because he must have been in the meeting and nobody knew it. Right. Uh, He's just a real awful, horrendous person. And uh, it's no one's ever like they've had some leads, but he just was complete. He was very careful. Mm-hmm. It makes sense that he was a cop because he, he only left trace DNA. Right. DNA didn't exist when he was doing these crimes, uh, you know, and he and somewhere along the way he stopped. Um, and uh, Pat Oswalt's wife, Michelle McNamara, who passed away, wrote a book, and it's supposed to be a really well written book about the Golden State Killer, which kind of brought attention back to the case. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, they made an announcement that they arrested this guy. Well. I want this guy arrested. Okay, I want this guy to pay for the crimes that he committed. But I'm also real creeped out how they how they did it. And I think it opens up a larger ethical discussion. Uh, investigators tracked him down through public genetic profiles posted online by his family members. Now, it wasn't 23andMe. It wasn't the Ancestry stuff. It was uh, GED Match. Mm-hmm. And I guess you can download your information from... The 23andMe and upload it to GED Match, which is an open source, you know, pre 23andMe genealogy mm-hmm. thing where you send and you can. And so somebody had uploaded the stuff and the genetic codes matched with the DNA sample that they had. So, um, so this person who they're interviewing, uh, author of Inside the Cell, The Dark Side of Forensic DNA, New York Law Professor Aaron Murphy basically said, you know, what California did is they did a, they allow familial searches so it, in its convicted offender database, and so they probably searched that, didn't get a match, and then they don't know how they exactly got the genetic code into GED match. Like, you have to spit into a vial with Ancestry and 23andMe, Obviously, if you've got DNA from 25 years ago, it's not going to work. Uh, so somehow they got it in there and they found a match. And then that, that led to leads that then traditional police work mm-hmm. led to the uh, to this person. You know, 23andMe has uh, 7 million profiles. Um, so one thing that she – listen, it's a good thing they caught this guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but – I think that the reason I wanted to bring this up and you don't have 
Anything to worry about if you've done nothing wrong, Harry. That old gag, mm. which I agree with. Mm. If you didn't rape and kill many, many people in the 70s and 80s, right. you wouldn't be in prison. But there's also a larger privacy concern that you if you if you don't like the fact that Facebook shares your email mm-hmm. <laughs> with advertisers, then you probably should be more careful about your entire genetic code yeah. being put uploaded to an internet. Um, so, yeah, but go, the, yeah, but if you share you know DNA with some family, you don't control them. Exactly. Just like you don't have control of some friend of yours on a, on a social media platform that decides to do some stupid quiz. Right. And so uh, she says, they 23andMe only responds to legal process inquiries. They will not voluntarily expose information about their clients, so they're kind of shielding information. But has anybody like really pushed 23andMe and Ancestry on how they're protecting this information? What happens if they get hacked and all those, all that codes, all those codes uh, that's in these XML files gets hacked? I'm sure it's protected like Equifax protected your credit information. Thank you, Harry. I'm glad you're being optimistic. There, she writes. Uh, she says there are a lot of warnings on these sites that they can't guarantee your privacy. If it only affects me, it's one thing. If I make him, if I'm making a decision that affects my brother, sister, mother, father, children, essentially everybody I'm related to. I think that's really different. I don't know the answer to how best to manage that problem, but I do think it's a serious issue. One member of the family can essentially forfeit the genetic privacy of an entire family for generations. Mm -hmm. It could be unnerving down the road. Uh, So so I think you should just be aware. I think it's cool. And I'll be honest, I'm still probably going to do the Ancestry.com. Like Abdul did it, and it showed like the path of his ancestors and it seemed really cool and uh i'm really into genealogy i'm i'm curious about it i'd like to see the the health stuff of it i don't like i'm not mr privacy like you but i'm sure you read that and you go there i'm not only am i not doing it i'm i'm putting a cease and desist on my entire family (laughs) right you wish i can but a lot of my i've got a lot of bootlicking status in my family and um (laughs) Uh, some people that I'm sure have eaten lead paint. <laughs> and then there's a lot of people that, you know, because everyone's got those aunts and those family members that vary into their genealogy or right. where their family come from. That's how I can trace my family back the way it, it can. I would don't you, know if they did the DNA testing, but they know they do that stuff. Would you like to talk about your uh, your ancestors from England and what they were up to, Harry? Um, that um, the reason my... <laughs> you you were involved in the slave trade in the past? Family pop. Pa- well, it involves a heavy word. Uh, <laughs> Operating? Uh, you know, you got to make a buck. And uh, <laughs> possibly fought against um, the United States in the um, revolution. And then got land in England. So, And then defunct to Canada. Um, after certain other things happened. It was, it was a convoluted process, you know, of, you know. Land grab and stuff like that. And then eventually right. became United States citizens after a. <laughs> right. But stuff happens, you know. Stuff happens. Like the Django Unchained, only you're not Django. You're the candy man. <laughs> it's okay. I'm more worried about what upset we may find out, like, you know, you know, my family owns your family. That's what I'm worried about. You were about. literally the black market. Yes. <laughs> thank, yes. thank you for that joke, Stone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. So he's doing stone jokes. Speaking of your family, Harry, and your uh, your family being bootlicking status, are they all Democrats? Majority of them are. Yes, yes. District seven Democrats too. By the way. Okay. How are they handling the Kanye West stuff? Just like you would expect, and it was has been hilarious because I've I've rattled on them like how they would flip on any black person the moment they switched and call them a coon or Uncle Tom the moment they do anything to scent. And as soon as it happened, boom, I'm like, look, look what you just did. <laughs> you didn't do anything and even vote for somebody. You know, nope, he just flipped on somebody. Kanye West basically came out and has been uh, he wore a Donald Trump hat. He it started with him saying that he liked the way that Candace Owen thinks. Mm-hmm. Candace mm-hmm. Owen is uh, connected to Turning Point USA, which was formed over the last couple of years by a guy named Charlie Kirk. And it's basically like a, a college aged Republican group, I guess some yeah. sort of competitor, like the the Republican version of Students for Liberty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Candace Owen is a YouTuber. Uh, Red Pill Black was her YouTube name. That's how she came to prominence. She's a young African-American, well, excuse me, young black woman. Harry does not like when I use the term African-American. Um, so, and, and that set off a shitstorm. He lost 9 million Twitter followers. He was just, he, he was just... Uncle Tom and all over the place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So then he started ranting about, listen, you need to be able to think, think for yourself. Yeah. Like free thought is important. Like just because uh, look at Chicago, like there's almost nothing that he said that if you go and read that you would disagree with at all. Yeah. And there's some people calling him not black, even though, you know, Chicago guy, you know, he's, right. He's he grew up middle class ish. So, so what? Ma- ma- but, majority of some of these black people that say that they grew up middle class. Right. Okay? Rick, Rick Ross was a prison guard. Yeah, come on. Yeah, look, <laughs> a lot of these guys are like, I even had like a, one of the things, um, I had one of my friends like, oh, he's not black. It's like, dude, you went to Brebuff. <laughs> <laughs> Brebuff is a very yeah. wealthy Catholic school here. Yeah, and it's like, how dare you? It's like, you even question my blackness. Dude, I at least went to public schools. You went to a, Northwest. I, I went to Northwest. You okay? went to school with Miranda. That yeah. should tell All you right? something. All right, All right. You, Questioning whether I know black people or black history, you should question yourself. I'm, I know, I know, I'm black. <laughs> you basically Uncle Remus. Is it, is it what's the cartoon? Uh, Uncle Ruckus. Thank Uncle you. Ruckus. Oh, okay. You. Uncle Remus is another extremely racist cartoon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Uncle Re- Uncle Remus. Uh, yeah. So he was just tweeting about love and saying a lot of what he said. I haven't disagreed with today. He was quoting Thomas Sowell for God's sake. So, uh, which is awesome. So. So yeah, I think it's a it's an important cultural thing because it's the first time someone of his um, stratosphere has basically just taken it right to like I think he's probably the most famous turncoat uh, to, <laughs> towards from he's I mean I mean some of the stuff that he has said you know 2005 Kanye you know George Bush doesn't care about black people after Hurricane Katrina. Uh, all fall down in in the college dropout album. He he raps. I say fuck the police. That's how I treat them. We buy our way out of jail, but we can't buy freedom. We'll buy a lot of clothes, but we don't really need them. Things we buy cover up what's inside because they made us hate ourselves and love they wealth. Uh, and crack music and late registration in two thousand five. He he rapped. How we stop? How we stop the Black Panthers? Ronald Reagan cooked up the answer. You can't hear that. What Gil Scott was hearing 
when our heroes and heroines got hooked on heroin. Uh, gorgeous in uh, 2010's My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. And at the airport, they check all through my bag and tell me it's random. As long as I'm in the polo smiling, they think they got me. But they would try to crack me if they ever see me uh, black me. And uh, what's a black beetle anyways? A fucking roach? I guess that's why they got me sitting here in a fucking coach. Uh, New Slaves, 2013. Meanwhile, the DEA teamed up with the CCA trying to lock... I'll let you say that word. Up. <laughs> they trying to make new slaves. See, that's what privately owned prison. Get your piece today. Uh, black skinhead. Watch who you bring home. They see a black man with a white woman at the top floor. They're going to come to kill King Kong. And in 2016, in feedback, hands up. We just doing what the cops taught us. Hands up, hands up. Then the cops shot us. So, you know, he's now quoting Thomas Sowell after, you know, being fairly, I mean, none of that's radical. I mean, that's, I agree with most of that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I don't think. And Ronald, the Thomas Sowell. And the Thomas Sowell. I don't think that Ronald Reagan created heroin, but obviously his drug policies furthered destroy the black community. Mm-hmm. But. He he's probably the most famous person to kind of like go conservative that I can think of. Did he really go conservative though? He's not, no no. I mean, he said his hero was Emma Gonzalez in a tweet yeah. over the weekend. Uh, uh, but when you're tweeting Thomas Sowell and you're meeting with Candace Owen and you're like you're 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 heading down that rabbit hole. There's there's a part of me that thinks okay, he's got an album coming out in three weeks, so he's yeah. trying to. What's the most controversial countercultural thing you can be? A, a right-wing Christian conservative. <laughs> He's going to start hanging out with Joel Osteen next. <laughs> if any luck, we can get him go libertarian. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, he, uh, he's, he, he, he's not nuts. Get him on stage with James Weeks. <laughs> so uh, Chance the Rapper tweeted out, black people don't have to be Democrats. Yeah. Your assessment of that, Harry. True. Well, did you see? You see what happened? Like, well, look what happened. Okay, like with a, a lot of people with Colion Noir did a uh, interview with a, a black gentleman uh, um, uh, named Killer Mike, uh-huh. and they did an interview on guns. And then the black community went after him for two whole weeks. And there's like, how can you say this about guns? It's like, no, every black person, you know, you need a. You need a handgun and an AK forty seven or AR fifteen. It's right. like you know. I was like, I was like, no, you. This is what you need, and you know, and watch him just get vilified through the whole like the whole thing, and lies get taught about the whole interview with him and with um, Noir, right? Which I used to. I, I've been watching Noir's videos for years, but I love his stuff. I don't agree with him on everything. Mm-hmm. We, get, we got some, you know, but because he's he's Republican, and to me, to, so he's not. He's not right enough. He's a commie. <laughs> but, um, and it just it doesn't surprise me. Like, uh, there was the, uh, what is it? Ru- what is it? Runaway Slave Project? Uh-huh. I can't remember that movie now. Uh, it was, I wouldn't remember seeing it in the movie theater. Uh, what is it? Uh, now I'm drawing a huge rank. Was uh, it, uh, the one that just came out? Mm-mm. Was no, it, like it a period piece or what? No, it was, uh, uh, shoot. <laughs> I can't believe I'm brain farting on us. See, this is this is why I shouldn't go to work. I should just stay at home and so, just watch Gunther. So let me read this. Uh, Chance the Rapper said black people don't have to be Democrats. And so, uh, ooh, boy, did he get it. Chance is a protege of uh, Kanye, calling him a mentor and big homie. 
several tweets. But that was Wednesday. Earlier today, yesterday, Chance had to recant his apostasy. I never support someone such as Trump who'd talk about Chicago as if it's hell on earth and then take steps to make life harder for the most disenfranchised among us. My statement about black folk not having to be Democrats, though true, was a deflection from the real conversation and stemmed from a personal issue with the fact that Chicago has had generations of Democratic officials with no investment or regard for black schools, neighborhoods, or black lives. But again, said that shit at the wrongest time. Uh, Chicago has not had a Republican mayor since 1931. Yep. Uh, As with many industrial cities, Nick Gillespie writes in Reason. Detroit, Flint. Uh... Control there flipped from prohibition supporting GOP machines to Democratic machines due to changing demographics and shifting attitudes toward Catholic and Jewish immigrants. Chance was immediately called out as a hypocrite for defending Kanye West. It's not difficult not to understand why he felt a need to separate himself from his comments about blacks, but not needing to be Democrats. Over the past 70 years, no voting bloc has been more closely identified with the party than blacks. Since 48... When the Democrats inserted a civil rights plank in their platform, a majority of blacks have identified as Democrats. No Republican presidential candidate has pulled more than 15% of the African-American vote since 1960 when Nixon received 32%. Uh, so he, he then goes on to talk about uh, Nick Gillespie says, The car you drove, the food you eat, the music you listen to, none of these things are the same as they were back in 78, 88, or 98. Why is the political party the same? And in many ways, uh, Chance, the rapper, also tweeted this. In many ways, Donald Trump ran as an independent. Not only did he openly attack leaders and infrastructure of the GOP, he shredded its dogma on free trade and other issues. Chance's timeline might be a bit optimistic, but there's no question that he's pointing out the right general direction, not simply for the presidency, but for the future of America, too. Independence is what they're both saying. You don't have to have groupthink. You don't have to be a herd of people voting in the same block. You're not betraying anything if you just think independently. The movie I was thinking of is called Runaway Slave. It's put out in 2012. It's from Reverend C.L. Bryant. He, it's a story of journey across America to find answers. A one-time NAACP local chapter president, Rev, Reverend Bryant, discovers that buying into the entitlement mindset of progressives and black lives matter the black community has traded one form of tyranny for another and it's actually a very good movie um he took us he was showing like some really good forms of uh like in atlanta where just the same blocks where blacks were traded as property you see blacks still sitting on there from the um like from the whole like beyond the on the sucking on the teeth of the United States government and being sit, sit there in the situation that they are from being from um, from democratic policies mm-hmm. and it's like I said it was a very interesting movie it's uh, free to watch on prime right now so if you are a prime uh, Amazon prime member you can go ahead and watch runaway slave put that in the Trello for me okay and I'll I'll make sure to link that in the show notes yeah I, I think uh, a lot of what Kanye is saying I think most of us would agree with. Uh, you know what I what I hate? This is just a personal po- point of personal privilege. You know, I don't like Kanye's music, but I think he's right here. This, ha- <laughs> this happened to me today. Like uh, in the Legal Liberty Group, someone was saying, you know, Roger, you know, Roger, uh, I don't like, I'm not a huge fan of Chris Spangle, but you weren't correct in the way that you handled that. And I just responded back, why aren't you a huge fan of me? The person was thoughtful enough to just reply back and say uh 
eh, I was throwing you under the bus to to gain cheap political points. Mm. Uh, so honest, yeah. Uh, and, and so we talked a little bit, but yeah, like people go, oh, I don't like this thing. Listen, I don't agree with blah blah blah, but it doesn't add more credibility to what you're saying. It just makes you look like an old white man. Like it's such a boomer thing to do. Is like, you know, I don't agree with blah blah blah, but they've got a blah blah blah. You know, like you don't have to like wedge that in there to soften your point. In fact, the more softening of your point, the less effective it is. Like quit trying to curry favor with other people. Political dialogue is not fashion. And that is a lot of what Kanye West is saying. This isn't about fashion, okay? You don't wear your political ideology the same way that you wear Dior or Ray-Bans, okay? This political speech in America has become, it's just fashion. It has no meaning. It's like this girl who wore the uh, Chinese dress mm-hmm. to prom, you know, just wears this dress. It looks great on her. She's a cute girl, yeah. 18, n- not a political bone in her body, not trying to be a political person, mm-hmm. you know, just going to prom. Yep. Some dude, oh, quit my, my culture is not for your appropriation. Uh, not for nothing, but like she doesn't look all that Aryan to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? But so, like, th- we've taken the most multi, like, sixty percent of millennials are multi-ethnic. Anyways, yes. Like we were beaten in school. I don't know about Northwestern, but in Plainfield High School, which was ninety-eight percent white, we only learned about the civil rights movement and slavery and how all that was wrong. And you don't treat people differently. And everyone, it was like. I didn't have racial thoughts growing up. I didn't have racial thoughts until I got until like Trump won. Then it's like, can you people leave me alone? <laughs> you know, it, it just really is uh, getting out of control. And like this, this guy just tweets this out about this girl in a dress, and all of a sudden he's she's being bullied online for wearing a dress to her prom. It's in Twitter moments. And as Stephen Miller on on Twitter pointed out, Red Steez, who's a hilarious follow, you know. Twitter is literally violating their own rules on bullying by putting this girl in moments and opening her up to more bullying. Uh, Twitter is actively helping bully this girl who made a choice to wear something for her to her credit. She has not apologized. She says, I will not apologize. I did nothing wrong. There you go. Leave me alone. Don't apologize. You know, it's like the girl who put the gun in her waist belt. Mm-hmm. It's like she's trying to take a, po- a photo mm-hmm. for, for her group for her group. Her friends, it's not a national news story. Mm-hmm. She's just a girl trying to put in her graduation photos a gun in her waistband. Right. Or a girl who is trying to show her friends her prom dress. She's not trying to show all of the world that she's like, okay, let's say this girl decided, you know what? I'm, I'm an 18-year-old white female, and I'm sitting in, let's say she's in Minneapolis. I don't know where she's from. In Minneapolis, Minnesota. You know what? I've really been having a lot of imperialistic thoughts lately. I really want to show those Chinese people who's boss. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go get a traditional garb and, and get that made as a dress. Actually, I won't get it made. I'll just buy it off the rack, meaning somebody else produced this line of clothing. It was their thought. I just think it's cute. Mm-hmm. It makes my butt look nice. Yeah. And I think my friends are really going to die because it will be unique. But the main thing is that it will show all of China and every Chinese American that I am that I, as a white woman, 
have supremacy. Like she's not having that thought. Like and and, and as much as you want to like the more you try to shove well <laughs> just because you don't have those thoughts doesn't mean that you're not an imperialist. Okay. Like the more you cry wolf, the less we care about real issues. Like the fact that Nigerian men are being sold in Libya right now as slaves in open air auctions. Right. There are open air auctions in in Libya and across Africa right now for slaves. It's not a hidden slave trade anymore. It's open air auctions. People are being sold into slavery to work on farms in Africa. That's an issue. That's an issue we should care about. That is an issue uh, that involves race, that involves discrimination, that involves, you know, imperialism, like all the stuff that you're fighting about. But when you have us focused on a girl's dress, we don't give a shit when you actually cry wolf, social justice warriors. Listen here, colonizer. Stay in your lane. All right, I'm sorry. Take your bland potato salad that no one wants, My white privilege is spewing all over the place. Nobody wants your bland-ass potato salad. Right. Okay, you stay over there, colonizer. All right? Got to make sure you don't go off anywhere and do things because we give you an inch, end up in India, (laughs) taking tea and stuff. (laughs) Give us an inch, we'll take all of the Near East. Yep. You know, okay, all right, all right, all right. Hey, I saw that TV show. I saw what happened when someone gave an idea, uh, gave um, Julius Caesar the idea of the new world. He just took over all that too. Okay, all right. By the way, you know, I'm speaking of a uh, what is it? Uh, Legends of Tomorrow's a CW show. Never, Never seen it. It's a great show. It's a great show. It's pretty awesome. Um, Julius Caesar got a book of the fall of Rome, and he's like, "We're gonna march on Rome now. We're gonna first. We're gonna go visit Brutus first. Nice. <laughs> not not necessarily historically accurate, it sounds like. Oh, um, no, 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 no. The fact um, that he can read English is... <laughs> Harry, Harry, I would love for you now to explain all the reasons you're an Uncle Tom. Because uh, I like to protect black people? Oh, sorry, I actually read the book. What? I read the book. Read the book. What that's book? Like, that's the, uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin. That's the other thing. It's like I, I, I remember getting so upset about it and hearing Abdul talk about it. And... Abdul was talking about was was like you know what read the book read the book before you call me an Uncle Tom read the book and understand it because I don't think you do I think you just see this term and you think that you know think and this term means something but you have never read Uncle Tom's Cabin right and actually understood what was going on in that book because if you did you wouldn't call me Uncle Tom right you gonna explain it to us because I haven't read Uncle Tom read the book (sighs) do do the work read the book. I'm not a. It's, not, it's a not a long book. I'm more of a Henry Ward Beecher fan as opposed to a Harriet Ward Beecher Stowe. Uh, her brother was a little bit cool. He, they're both from Indiana. You Uncle Tom did a lot on protecting the slaves that are around him. Actually, right. Other than this whole, yeah, was he's the person his slave the his the his masters? What were they some friends in the book yes yes right. they were but there was also also just showing the peculiar nation uh, um, the peculiar situation of slavery really was mm-hmm. uh, and in the book you know like the the so slave master was planning on and then was re- and if he didn't die was planning on actually giving uncle thomas freedom right you know and working on doing that to the rest of the slaves mm-hmm and because I mean, Uncle Tom did a lot to help train and protect the, every slave that he came encounter with. When right. he even got slaved back in his, uh, the, you know, in the slave trade. So, 
It wasn't like you like, oh, he's Master's friend. He's doing like, no, those were, oh, I can't remember the other two characters' names that were, that beat him. And, but yeah, like I said, it's, read the book. So Kanye West, w- w- have you followed any of this? Like, what are your thoughts on it? Um, it's more like just typical what happens when any black person leaves the Democratic plantation. Mm-hmm. You go off and say anything like that. Him saying his stuff, same stuff, his same stuff. Like I remember going on when I used to talk about like uh, just being like even uh, and that edge, like edging into Republicanism and talking about and making Republican viewpoints, right? Especially during the Bush era. Um, so a lot of that doesn't surprise me. Uh, I'm trying to show that in my family's face and show them that. Um, personally, I loved it because I can crank Kanye music even louder and look at people. Um, I've never listened to Kanye's um, song Power so many different times. You just crank it, especially you, were, you just go run and like, yeah, Kanye. Um, <laughs> just a troll. It's been all, you know, awesome. Um, but yeah, those are my, yeah, that's, yeah, it's it's just, just it's more of a just a mirror on like well look just just look at yourselves look what happened right you know like all did he say something really radical you know and when it goes back to the whole like Alfie thing it's like think about it for a second if you're so worried about Trump can do this and Trump Trump to do that to you then why would you even want any other type of government then. Right. When he comes down, yeah. So I always say something like, hey, man, a government that can do anything for you can do anything to you. Mm-hmm. You know, if they can do that for you. They can take that away and do something worse. Yeah. All right. Well, that seems like a good place to stop. Uh, Want to do this question, but we're like three hours in. Should we do this question? Uh, yeah, let's do this question. All right. Listener letter. Listener letter time. Hello, Chris. I, uh, this is Patrick writing us. I'm a very young libertarian, uh, but I have loved life, my life, since I became one. Once my eyes were opened, everything began to make more sense. Ha ha. My question for you, though, sir, is that I want to get more involved on the local level to make changes to my city that I live in. What would be the best plan of action or path to go down to do that? Thanks for all that you do. What are your thoughts? First thing you got to do when you go to your local libertarian meetings is to make sure they actually are real libertarians. <laughs> if they are not, destroy them with logical fallacies and ad hominem attacks until they submit. Exactly. Twist every every joke that they make until they cry. Um, I, to me, personally, like um, one, I think the best thing of the attack is to understand that not every libertarian, just most of the internet libertarians are dicks. Which I have come from really being in in the wall group because before wall, I used to think every libertarian was a dick and stood stood away from most of them. Right. But knowing that, like, wow, that's just some of them on the internet. And in the first one, they're very, very nice, very, very cordial people. I think the best thing to do is to find out where your local libertarians meet and just hang out and just get to know the people, you know? Yeah, I think uh, if you don't, if you want to get involved at the local level, you you have a few options. Uh, excuse, <sighs> I put myself to sleep. Um, <laughs> because are you going to tell them like the don't run into like the traps of every new libertarian? Well, he, that's going to ha- he's not going to listen to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're going to fall into those. <laughs> right, he's going to do those anyways. Uh, no, I think yeah, I think a it is it is important to to 
learn libertarian ideology and continue to grow in libertarian philosophy. I mean, I still, even 10 years in, I constantly read or listen to stuff all the time. I uh, just started listening actually to some of Thomas, Thomas Sowell's books, uh, basic economics. Um, you know, uh, I, I'm sure people would, he, he doesn't claim, he claims to be a libertarian in some ways. Uh, and he's certainly not an Austrian economic, uh, economist, but, uh, like I just started, uh, black rednecks and, and white, white liberals. liberals. Yeah. My favorite book, uh, that and, and basic economics. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, so I'm always listening to some, some broader, uh, libertarian thing. Uh, Jeff Riggenbach narrates most of them on audible. Um, so, so I'm always kind of like, I, I'm always ingesting some like overarching book or piece of history or philosophy or libertarian centric stuff. I think that's important, but there are a lot of libertarians who like that's all they do. They never read the New York Times or uh, uh, any of the stuff that we read here tonight because oh that's for statists. Yeah. I'm only going to read Rothbard and I'm not going to read the news because that's for statists. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not how you reach people. People want to be people want to understand issues and through the talking of issues things like Alfie Evans you can say who owns you? The government or you? Mm-hmm. Do you own yourself? And because people tune in wanting to know about Alfie Evans, and then they walk away going, "Oh, I own myself." With that very libertarian concept, I like to do the uh, Reuters uh, Roku app of how many how much time you have in that day in the moment right now to listen to the news, and, mm. and they'll give you the news in like whatever time you have. So if you've got five minutes, they'll just throw five minutes at that's cool. At you real quick, yeah. I mean, so you you have. The libertarian philosophy piece, you have the current events piece, Mm -hmm. and then you've also got the political piece. You you have to understand local politics if you want to get engaged with it. So meeting other local libertarians isn't going to be enough if you want to make a political difference. Go to your county meetings, not only your libertarian county meetings, but your county council meetings, your city council meetings. Nobody shows up to a county council meeting. And every county council has some hundred million dollar project before them that they're trying to put their names on. Mm-hmm. You know, so you can make a real difference by showing up with a camera. Like the Boss Hog of Liberty has done a great job of building a news outlet with you know a few hundred listeners in a small town, showing up to town meetings and live streaming it with their media outlet, and they've transformed in a year local politics. Right. Because, you know, the newspaper doesn't go and stream live on Facebook the the city council meetings, mm-hmm. you know, and then give an hour long, like, you know, give 10 minutes of analysis on it on their podcast interspersed mm-hmm. with like farm reports or whatever Boss Hog does. Yep. Uh, you know, soybeans are out now. Um, I don't even know what that is. I know. Uh, soy boys. That's, <laughs> that's what Cade Coger's up to. Soy. He's just planting his soy. Growing his own man boobs. Um, so, so yeah, getting involved in in local meetings is important. You can go as someone who plans to run for office. You can go as someone who is videotaping and putting it up on YouTube. You you can go as someone who is just there to learn. Yep. I would not go there to be hostile. I absolutely hate when people go into those meetings or go into. It's like the Adam Kokesh approach does not work. If you were walking up to government officials with a camera in their face and being a nuisance you one time even 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you you can annoy them with questions, but don't like try to harass or humiliate them. Right. Because then you will never, ever, 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 ever get them to listen to you. And you will and the time when you need to stop that hundred million dollar project, you've already blown your capital by being a jerk and making yourself feel good in that moment of an instant gratification. Yep. When you the, the real politics of politics. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so the more you're around, uh, I would listen to Boss Hog of Liberty because I think they've done the, a, a great job. You won't you won't find a lot of the discussion relevant, but I think you'll find the tactics relevant. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, starting a little media outlet with just a Facebook page, giving updates, streaming, mm-hmm. streaming that stuff. You'll attract other libertarians through doing that. And then uh, you can decide how you want to get involved from there. I mean, you know, don't don't run for office right don't away. Do, yes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> just because you've been interested in politics for six months, it doesn't mean that you should run for office because you don't know any policies. Mm-hmm. Like, That's one of the traps. You should never run for office if you don't know what you would do day one. Like if you don't know how the job operates, you don't know what the scope of work would be. It, it's just like any other job. Okay, Harry just got a new job. Do you think Harry took the job not knowing what his daily tasks would be, not having some vague idea of strategy as to fix the problems that he's being hired to do? Mm-hmm. It's the same with government work. Like running on I'm going to abolish all the government as you run for a city county council seat is stupid. You're never going to win and you're wasting everyone's time. You're going to be so much more effective if you've spent two years going to city county council meetings taking notes in a notebook mm-hmm. that you can then refer back to later. You know all the players. The local political establishment says, you know, I disagree with him on some stuff, but he's a good guy. Uh, the the Marion County Republican uh, chairman was at work today. Yeah. And he told one of the he's, – he's really – he's a good guy. Take you know, me, like – and it's because I don't treat him like a dick. Yeah. Like this is a person I have significant disagreements on – around drug laws for instance Mm -hmm. but this guy respects me and so if i sat down and had a conversation when i needed to about x y and z he'd listen to me and it's because i haven't been a dick to him and i've been around for 10 years engaged in the process other people who are engaged in the political process respect other people engaged in the political process even if you're on different sides you respect the fact that they're still showing up too you know, like me and my Republican friends and Democrat friends, like you'll probably see it on my social media. It's like we still tease each other. We still give each other shit, but I still respect them, mm-hmm. you know, and they respect that that I've made some contributions too. so, you know, you 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 shouldn't run for office if you don't know the people that you'd be working with. You don't know the policies that you try and enact. You don't know the job description. And if you think that you're going to run on vague libertarian philosophy and win, you're you're not only going to not win, you're going to lose, and you're going to make the party and the entire ideology look bad because you're not being relevant. The reason that you love We Are Libertarians, especially if you've made it this far into the episode, is that it's relevant. I make the content relevant to what you want to hear. And every time the content isn't current events... My downloads are half of what they normally are. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, if it's a if it's a vague philosophical discussion, you guys don't download that episode. You download Alfie, and you download the things that you find relevant because that's mm-hmm. what you and your friends are interested in in that moment. And it relevance is just very important. Uh, you especially like when you're talking about like knowing what's going on 
and right. knowing what's up. Take what James Neese has done in, in District Four when he wants to talk about drug laws. The way he brings it into the, he brings it to the discussion because of the also the way his constituents, if he if he when he does win, is that the if Indiana does not get ahead of this whole of either medical marijuana or um, um, uh, what's the other word I'm looking for? Brain fart. Uh, uh, no, yeah, of industrial hemp, and turn that into a cash crop. We inside all the farming belt will be last. We'll be last. We'll be the only one still just planting corn and soybeans. Everyone else have been on this other crash, this other cash crop, and then you know we lose out, and that's losing Indiana jobs and losing Indiana money. Okay, so why take a you know it's basically why you know remove something off the table for an Indiana farmer that could put food on their table and bring money to them. So making it relevant to them. Right. It, and knowing like the issues and going and going after this like it's not, and showing that, hey, and we're going to have examples. But that's knowing an issue that's going after the farmers because it's just like, no, drug laws are for this violent violent. But yeah, that's permanent to most people in inner cities. But to the farm town is like, whoa, 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 money, crops, you know. And now, honestly, if you really talk to James, James, he actually knows how farming actually works. Right. Strangely enough, it's very weird. But he's out there in the, in the country. Right. <laughs> Uh, James is killing it. I, I really need to get him on Thursday because his election's Tuesday. So, all right. Final thoughts for the episode, Harry. When it comes to the Alfie thing and the whole government owning you, it's to me that's. I don't want to. I'm always shocked and surprised. One, that people are shocked and surprised that something would happen like that in England. Mm-hmm. It's almost like the, to me, just you're just not paying attention. Right. Um, with the North Korea thing, it's. I have hope that it will be not complete. It won't be completely open like South Korea is. Um, South Korea being the America of Asia, um, it's it's more American mm-hmm. than anywhere else in in Asia, but and probably end up probably being more China, but more China back in the eighties, right. you know, than it is China now. Yeah. But it will take a while to get there. And it's neat that we get to see the baby steps and I watch that go forward and possibly hear these authentic North Korean more, but be able to hear more of a North Korean authentic experience from the horse's mouth. And then understanding that in 30 to 50 years that no one will hopefully know North Korea like this. Yeah. I mean, we don't think about East and West Germany anymore. No. I mean, that's been 30 years, 20 years. Well, 20 years since it was broken up? Well, you were in public school. You saw the Northeast Germany and West Germany maps on your – you need to get new maps. But yeah. yeah. (laughs) We were in in, uh, grade school when they started redoing – I still have a globe, not this one, but I have a a globe with uh, the USSR on it. Uh, I mean, mean, these things change all the time. I mean, there's – it's constantly changing, and the – it just is amazing to me that we've gone from a situation where it's never been more high stakes and more dangerous than it was last year with this situation. And we were doing episodes basically saying, like, I hope we don't die <laughs> to now having a ray of hope. And mm-hmm. even if he's playing the West and even if he's trying to play us for suckers, why wouldn't you enter into the negotiations? You know, and I, I don't think that the right and the hawks of the world are saying don't do that, but I, I think they're uh, they probably I don't know. 
Like, like John Bolton is probably John Bolton is not the, as much of a hawk as everybody makes him out to be in terms of he's not Paul Wolfowitz. Okay, let me say that he's not he's not like a I don't he he wasn't really down with the invasion of Iraq. I think I've read, mm-hmm. uh, but he's very firm on denuclearization for North Korea. Uh, so he's he, he's not the war crazed nut job that everybody makes him out to be. I think the mustache does him no favors because uh, it makes him look like a cartoon character. Um, but he's still a very hawkish person, and he's a person who is uh, part of that calculus that he's going to put a lot of pressure on them. Uh, and so hopefully they don't push too hard, and hopefully they don't blow this because this feels like a really good opportunity. Uh, and hopefully Kim really pushes to open up North Korea, even if even if Trump and his team do something stupid, he continues doing it. And I think he's kind of cutting out in some ways the United States by going straight to North straight to South Korea, uh, which I think is smart. And I think that's a good sign as well. So I don't know. It's like, why not have some hope? <laughs> mm-hmm. Why not? Why not? Let's let's trust but verify, as Reagan used to say. Yeah. You know, let's have those conversations with them. And, and this is a long, unwinding process. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if I yawn, <laughs> if I yawn, Harry, yeah. this is when you talk. You uh, go, oh, low my key co- wall tomorrow will be a fun little hangout. Um, I'm you do need to finish the break job. And so I might bring the camper out to the garage and talk politics, drink beers and work on the brakes. Yo, it'll be fun. I need new rear brakes. Can you help me do that? Uh, we could do that for low. Not this Wednesday. I'm doing my brakes, but we could do that for Loki. Well, how about you get some new tires too? Oh, I'm gonna get new tires, but I don't need to spend eight hundred dollars on new back on new rear brakes. Can I have four hundred dollars? <laughs> I'm not giving you anything. I'm, I'm giving you a low-key wall episode. Whoa! I want four hundred dollars with the rear brakes. I, I can do it. I just need you to show me how. Yeah, four hundred dollars. <laughs> I'll just go. I'll go find a. I'll just go to Jiffy Lube then. Jiffy Lube, yeah. Jiffy Lube. They'll tell you, you got good tires they, too. You give me breaks. Yeah. Um, then there's Saturday is Gunther's birthday. Her first birthday. We'll be doing at the um, Meatloaf and Potato Studios. If you know where that is, come on, stop by. We're going to have ribs and everything. So nice. All right. Cool. Very good. Want to thank uh, Craig DeCosta, Jason Doolittle. Christy Avery and Brandon Luke for being our $100 a month subscribers. You guys are awesome. Uh, thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers for doing all the things that you do for us. Uh, mostly the ability to do this research, for instance, it's from you guys. Uh, the, the internet that streams, the cameras, the iPads, the microphones, all of it's from you. And uh, you guys make this show what it is. And we are just happy that we get to lead it. And, you know, I have to say, uh, I, the thing that I've, I've heard from the fallout of this League of Liberty episode, which if you want to hear the thing that everybody in the Liberty Movement is talking about, you've got to be a Patreon subscriber. $5 a month and you can go and listen to the League of Liberty episode, episode 6, and you'll hear what everybody's talking about. Uh, but the Patreon subscribers that have contacted me... You know, the message time and time again is thank you for creating a community where I feel like I fit, you know, as opposed to I didn't think that any libertarians out there were my people. And I'm so glad that you guys have started the podcast because you're my people. The discord people are my people. The Facebook group, those are my people. 
Uh, so join our community at wearelibertarians.com. Uh, so we, we want to make a connection. There's 7,000 of you that listen, uh, and we know a few hundred. So we'd love to make a, a connection with you. So please join our stuff at wearelibertarians.com. Starting with Patreon, we give you all kinds of bonus content. There was 20 extra minutes on the show. You didn't hear that 20 extra minutes because you didn't pony up to help pay for what you love. Five bucks a month. That's not that much at all. Come on. What 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 is even five dollars anymore, Harry? What's a ten dollars a month to, to you? Like, like going out to dinner was sixteen dollars tonight. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Skip one meal and make a difference in the world, right? Yeah, I'm not I'm not crazy. Cup of coffee. A cup of coffee is probably like nine dollars now, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, so I got to probably buy it as soon as I get to Starbucks. Yeah. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening on this episode. Uh, Thursday, got a couple. I've got like two episodes I'm recording Thursday. I'm not going to surprise you. <laughs> I'm not going to tease it. Two very cool uh, episodes coming up later this week, and uh, we'll talk to you then. Thanks. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of We Are Libertarians. I'm amazed you made it to the very end, and I appreciate that. And that means that you were a true fan of We Are Libertarians, and any true fan of We Are Libertarians, should listen to our other podcasts. We have a whole network of shows. We have The Chris Spangle Show, where I talk about many of my varied interests that aren't political, a lot of podcasting talk, if you're interested in getting involved in podcasting. The Brian Nichols Show. Brian talks to a lot of different folks from the left, the right, the center, libertarian movement. If you love We Are Libertarians, you will love The Brian Nichols Show. The Boss Hog of Liberty. The Boss Hog is has basically created a media empire in his small town and has taken over along with his co-host Dakota Davis. I think it's really interesting to see how they've built a media network, and I encourage you to do the same. Upward Political Training, it's a podcast where I've put a lot of training for libertarians on how to spread the message. The Cost, this is a podcast where we break down the human costs of government policy, so be sure to check that out. Raw Audio Politics, where basically I take unedited speeches and interviews and stuff that I want to listen to, and I put it in a podcast feed for you. Miranda's World, Miranda is one of the craziest human beings in a good way that I've ever met. She's so entertaining and so much fun, and I think you will love that. And who could not listen to Tad Talk? Tad Western brings you the rootness tootness good time this side of the Mississippi. So be sure to check that out. He's one of the funniest human beings that I know. And if you are chubby and you need to get in shape, then you can't outrun the fork with Brett Bittner, where he talks about keto. Yes, I gave Brett Bittner a show. And you can check out a bunch of other podcasts at libertarianpodcasts.com. I have put together all of my favorite libertarian podcasts up there at libertarianpodcast.com, including our friends Lions of Liberty, The Lava Flow, The Johnny Rocket Launchpad, uh, The Scott Horton Show is one that I definitely think you should be listening to. So go check that out. Lots of great libertarian podcasts out there. You may not know where to start. Start there. And we've also got a comprehensive list of all the libertarian podcasts I can find. Thank you for listening. And if you love We Are Libertarians, please check out all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Thank you for listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Get our other shows at wearelibertarians.com.